Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Talking about making it work with numbers. The papers this morning, of course, much of them, uh, certainly the papers on Lee side, talk about Michal Martin following in the footsteps of Jack Lynch. What is it? 1979 was the year that Jack Lynch left office. And we haven't had a Taoiseach on Lee side since that. It's dogged him for many years. He's within touching distance now. All he's got to do is get the party, the part parliamentary party and the grassroots to grow, vote for it. But I don't think in the history of any political party, no party of that size, certainly not Fianna Fáil, ever rejected going in to government when it came to a vote of the, the mass congregation. So he's on the brink, brink of becoming the next Taoiseach, first Cork person since 79, following in Jack's footsteps is the headline making this morning's Echo today. The examiner runs with it as well. Um, they talk about his past and how he grew up in Turnus Cross and became a councillor and then became a Lord Mayor, became a TD. He's a, an avid and keen supporter of Nemo Rangers and Cork GAA. I don't know what kind of a party there'll be in Nemo. Probably none under the current circumstances, but at some stage in the future. Then the papers also talk about the deal that was done between Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens. And much, I suppose, to the licking of the wounds of Sinn Féin on the wings, who are now ready to go, go into opposition, which in itself is, is, is laudable and an achievement. First time ever Sinn Féin, since the formation of the state, become the official opposition party in the in Tall Aaron. So we'll come back to that throughout the course uh, of the morning, but it's big news. And also, it must come as no consolation whatsoever uh, to Fine Gael this morning with the Irish Times poll that's out, the Ipsos MRBI poll. It's a telephone poll, but it doesn't matter what kind of a poll it is. A poll is a poll and is fair to all parties. And it shows an overwhelming increase in support for Fine Gael. I mean, talk about a party that was down in the doldrums as they went into the general election and what COVID-19 did, their performance certainly has been picked up by the population. 37% support for Fine Gael, up 17% and dwarfing uh, Fianna Fáil. So Fine Gael of 37% support the public, those that were uh, asked questions in the poll. Fianna Fáil have 14%. Sinn Féin no change at 25 So it really was to the detriment of independence that they gained, and also to the detriment of Fianna Fáil, but 37% support. And also, when it look, when you look at the political leaders, um, overwhelmingly ahead of the field is Leo Varadkar, 75%, uh, followed by uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, followed by Micheál Martin, and then followed by Eamon Ryan. So it's an interesting poll and must come somewhat sad for uh, Fianna Gael to be looking at those numbers when really, I suppose, if there was a general election during COVID-19, they would be the only government the only party in government because they would have had a runaway success, I would have thought. Anyway, shopping centres reopened to the public yesterday. Cautious optimism. Not, not, and no problems really, to be honest. Almost like as you were, I believe. We'll have a Vox from both Blackpool and Wilton shopping centres a little later on this morning. The public being told to wear masks. They may make it law, but certainly masks on public transport. You've been asked to wear masks in shops. You're being asked to wear masks when visiting elderly friends or relatives in a bid to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Now, the numbers, of course, are very optimistic. No deaths yesterday. Uh, and, of course, counties continue uh, to surge ahead in suppressing the virus and keeping it away. Bad news coming out of China, though. More news on that uh, a little later this morning as well. The hospitality industry, small to medium enterprises, are going to get a stimulus package as part of the new deal that was done by uh, the government. I don't know whether it's going to be a grant. I think it mightn't be money, but it'll be some kind of maybe a tax package. It's an historic uh, occasion because, uh, you know, it's going to have to do, they're going to have to do something to get small businesses, medium sized businesses with, you know, 
one or two metre restrictions in place. They're going to have to help them in somewhere, some way. The Sun this morning talks about looking back fondly at the days of Lugate when everybody was hitting the supermarkets for loo roll, uh, worried or petrified punters stockpiling toilet roll. Uh, loo roll firms reported an increase of 700% in sales. I'd say there are sheds on Leaside that are just full of loo roll because people stockpiled and said, uh, you got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. Corrine Park is showing how you can do things differently. It's a story in the Echo today. They're putting a drive-in cinema uh, in there this weekend, and uh, it'll show 14 different screenings with everything from romantic comedies to dramas and family-friendly films. There'll be a lot less films to look at now, seeing as many of them have been axed because they're just uh, not, uh, you know, um, I suppose tolerated in the era that we live in now. But the drive-in cinema will be held at Curraheen Greyhound Stadium and it will run from this Thursday uh, until Sunday. And if it works, I suppose they'll do lots more of it. Uh, the work that's being done down in the marina makes the papers also today. Did you know they're spending €9 million Euro in total on the huge enhancement project down in the much-loved marina to make it more punter-friendly, more family-friendly, more pedestrian-friendly. And then a couple of stories that we've done within the papers over the last 12 months or so. They made court reports today, particularly from the Echo and the Examiner with Liam Healan, who was in court for a three-year jail term imposed on a fella uh, who jabbed a broken bottle ten times into the face of another man, and we covered that on air. And then you may remember a sexual assault, a cork man who sexually assaulted a homeless man sleeping on the street. He got jailed for four years. Uh, so results there in court. The issues involving um, students up around the college and all those different streets and, and lanes and parks and what have you, uh, landlords who failed to uh, control their tenants could face hefty fines. And that's what residents in the area want. Fine the landlords because they're rowdy th- tenants and at least 40 landlords um, and over 200 properties owned by 40 landlords have been contacted by the Guardian. I told you about that yesterday. Uh, there's more standoffs and, oh, sorry, there's more silent vigils and protests in different areas making the papers today. And, and on a lighter note, there's some really lovely light stories making the papers, which I may well come back to. If you didn't know it, there is intelligent life out there in our galaxy. We're not alone. According to research, and the Red Tops pick up on it today, and also some of the broadsheets, there are 36 other alien civilizations within the Milky Way. Uh, We're unlikely to be alone, but also unlikely, they say, to get a visit from E.T., which is unfortunate. We don't mind them coming down here as long as they're friendly. And then, um, if if you go on a first date, legally, there are some uh, laws and rules that you're entitled to be covered from getting a disease from the first date partner. And I'm not talking about a sexually transmitted disease from the deed, but just from kissing. The English Times today has the story of a man called Martin Ashley, who was suing a girl for €136,000 because she acted frivolously by not telling him that she had a cold sore. He kissed her and he got herpes. Be interesting how that goes in court. And then the papers this morning talk about the whopping amount of money that we're spending on our foreign diplomats' cars. €387,000 splashed out last year by the Department of Foreign Affairs buying cars overseas for our diplomats. And if you thought they were frugal cars or cars that were very economical, think again. We are talking uh, BMWs, Lexus, Volvos and Toyota SUVs.
I suppose you want our diplomats to look stylish as they go about overseas, yeah? The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, we'd like to ask all our customers to respect our dedicated times for our over 65s and family carers. Lines open, you can text 0868 104 If you have any thoughts on uh, Fianna Fáil or indeed Michal Martin being the next Taoiseach and a Cork Taoiseach, and that, I believe, is going to do great things for Cork in spite of what your thoughts are on Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, uh, you know, Sinn Féin or whatever, I think having a Taoiseach on Lisa has got to be celebrated. It's got to be a great thing. So we will come back to that. Text 0868 Pick up the phone at one 850 What I didn't get to do yesterday, and I promised I would talk to him today, was talk to Professor Jerry Killeen. He's the chair uh, for Applied Pathogen Ecology at the School of Biology, Earth and Environmental Sciences at UCC. It's one heck of a long title. Need to take a deep breath after that. And he joins me by phone. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And, of course, yesterday I was doing the newspaper review and came across your story saying that a second wave is inevitable. We went into lockdown too soon and we're coming out of it too early. Tell me all about that and your thoughts. Well, I, I don't think I said we went into it too soon. I think we went into it too late. Sorry, um, we went into it too late and came out of it too soon. I got it the wrong way around. My apologies. Yes, well, yeah. we are... And it's not inevitable, but it is inevitable if we go through with this plan on schedule. And why do why do you say that? I mean, it's it's is it inevitable, regardless of what happened, that there would be a second wave in the winter anyway? Is it? No, not necessarily. So, I mean, the alternative is you eliminate the disease, um, but you know we're not there yet, and that's one of the things that is frustrating. You know, we're not that far away from it. If we could just hold our nerve and be patient, and I understand that's difficult with so many people's businesses struggling, so many people's livelihoods, um, you know, so many people cocooned. It's it's a difficult thing to do, um, but that would be a a more sustainable solution. And uh, unfortunately, if we kind of lift all our restrictions and go back to, um, you know, the way we we were uh, unfortunately you know the virus hasn't gone it's going to do what it does um i think germany is already back into a, a growing epidemic and they're reintroducing restrictions china in the last two days has had another flare up of quite large proportions so you know uh, it's not projections these are these things are happening all over the world at present and, yeah, um, what, do, what do you know of what happened in China? It seems to be in another one of these wet markets, doesn't it? Except this time in, in, in Beijing, was it? Yeah, it was a, it's a large market. Um, you know, whether there's live animals traded there or not, I'm not sure. But um, it's certainly a large market, which is a large congregated setting. And so the opportunities there for the outbreaks to become very large before they're noticed is um, it's substantial. And so, so, you know, that would also relate to some of the things we're all looking forward to getting back to, like, you know, um, like hurling matches and rugby matches and everything else. So, you know, the, as we, you know, if you look at our, our, our plan to, you know, to ease restrictions and you break it down into small little components, all the little components look pretty harmless in by themselves. But you put them all together and you've, you know, you've basically kind of reassembled the whole transmission machinery. Mm. And is that what they found in Germany as they relax things in Germany? And maybe other European countries will, will have the same, that they saw numbers rising again as people mingled together, was it? 
Yes, and I, I think it was one, because um, it's done in a decentralised way in Germany, so I think it's one of the states that kind of eased some restrictions earlier than others is kind of ahead of the, you know, have found themselves back in that growth phase again you know, faster than everybody else. So it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a canary in the cage for the rest of us. Yeah, and, and it's also a huge issue. I know you touched on that. I mean, there are clearly are people's lives um, and health at risk here and have been for a number of months now. But the economy, the world's economy and Ireland's economy is in tatters. At some stage, a call has to be made to reboot the economy and get people back to work and earning money. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. But the question now is, is now the time or does that just dig us into a bigger hole? You know, I dread to think what shape we'll be in if we get ourselves into a second wave of the same side, which will require a second wave of restrictions. And um, and then we still find ourselves back at the same place. We still find ourselves, you know, if we, if we do the whole job all over again, we still find ourselves back where we are today. And we find ourselves asking, can we hang on for another couple of months until we've had zero cases for, say, 40 days in a row? How would you have done it differently then? You would have gone into lockdown sooner and you would, would you have said, like, we didn't close our borders like many countries did. Was that significant? Yes, it was. It was hugely significant. You know, um, if you look at somewhere like Namibia that moved faster, 25 cases and zero deaths the last time I checked. Hong Kong, which has a border with China, um, and, you know, relations aren't so great, but they had zero deaths in their care homes and um, I think less than 100 overall. So so, so those are things that we, I think something like estimated that a, a very large, the majority of cases in the UK could have been prevented if the lockdown had been introduced that week and a half earlier. So um, that's the problem with these things. They, they grow out of control very fast and it takes a lot longer to undo the damage than it took for the damage to occur. And with this particular virus, there's a particular nasty feature to it is that because most people who get it don't become particularly ill, the outbreak gets quite large before you notice, Yes. before the severe cases turn up. So um, so in that sense, it's like a, some tropical diseases where by the time you notice you've got an outbreak, you're already halfway into it. But if, if we were to prepare for a second spike, say, later in the year, would it make more sense to look at some of the um, lessons that we learned over the past few months, and that is with regards to our elderly or immunocompromised, those in nursing homes, people with obesity, issues involving asthma, diabetes, things like that, and, and, and mind them, watch them. Well, we should be doing those things. But, of course, those people need looking after. You know, the doctors need to go to work. Carers need to go in and look after them. Those carers and physicians and cleaners, they all have families. Those families are in the community. And, you know, as long as we have the virus in circulation... You know, all the best things that the doctors can do. I just read a great article in the New Yorker about it this morning. Um, you know, the doctors can do a lot and the carers in, in care homes can do a lot to turn the flood into a leak, you know, a trickle. But, you know, sooner or later, if we have COVID in our, you know, in our community, you know, it'll trickle into all those settings. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, basically... The process still goes through its full course. It just does so slowly. I know I know that, you know, we had no deaths reported yesterday. Eight positive cases. Surely be to God, 
this is beaten, really, and, you know, that, that it was right to move up the phases and to tighten them up. I mean, the way the plan is going now, by the 21st of July, isn't it, will be completely back to the way things were. Significant changes on the 29th of June. Um, you know, with no deaths, eight positive cases, like, that's pretty good. It is. So we've got it on the ropes. So, you know, I think it would be a mistake to go back into our corner and um, and give it a chance. You know, eight doesn't sound like much. But that's eight a day. And that's probably no more than 25% of all the cases that are out there. So you're actually looking at 20 a day, which is 140 a week. And, you know, that's about the same kind of number of cases that we were at in early March. And we also heard that took us. Yeah, but early March, we didn't have the PPE. We weren't physically distancing. We were all going to work. They were socializing. People were going to pubs. We had, you know, a lot of sports on. It's a different world now. Well, if we, um, you know, we're not far away from phase three plus. And I still don't see, you mentioned PPE. I still don't see many people wearing masks in the settings where they should. So, you know, even if we were to accept, you know, we settled for a suppression strategy then we don't have those measures in place to prevent the worst of a of a resurgence. And, you know, I, I, I can see, you know, that for, I think most people in this country, they're, they're ready to, to, to give this um, kind of um, easing of restrictions a try. I would just appeal to, to everybody because it's all down to us, you know, um, you know, Let's ease in, into this cautiously and be ready to slam on the brakes and and slap it into reverse as fast as we can. And could could and that could that potentially could that into. could that potentially happen in the coming weeks? Or are you saying next winter? No, I'm talking about yeah, within the coming weeks. Mm. Mm. Certainly, the seeding event it takes time for these things to build momentum, and that's one of the problems. That's difficult to appreciate. But we saw this in April. We knew in March how big April would be, and, you know, it was. Um, is that because there's such a delay between transmission and ICUs filling up, that um, you kind of, there's a long period before the trouble starts. You know, there's a fairly long period between, you know, the, the problem being initiated and then you realizing that you're. You're quite well into it. Yeah. So, that was a, that um, was a very interesting tale, wasn't it? The 43-year-old Cork farmer, the first community contact. He, he hadn't been overseas. He hadn't been in touch with anybody overseas. you got to wonder, where did he get it from? He would have, I guess he would have got it from somebody who had been overseas yeah. and probably somebody he never met. So it might have been, might have been on the same bus 30 minutes later. Uh, might have been um, sat at the same table and might have walked past that person. Um, you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And the and New Zealand community transmission. That's you, commu- you just don't know. Yeah, the the New Zealand case is interesting because I spoke with the Cork girl down in New Zealand. They're completely out of lockdown. They can hug, shake hands, do whatever they want now. Go to restaurants, pubs, go to work. And now their COVID free run has ended. They have now got positive tests again. You're, you're aware of that they had been free for something like twenty four or twenty five days, I believe. But if two women came in from the UK infected and it's back in New Zealand again. Yeah, well, that's the, that's my concern is that that's the thing you've got to be extremely careful about if you do, if you implement an elimination strategy and not everybody clears the virus within two weeks. 
So, you know, those are big challenges ahead of us all. And, yeah, and is our quarantine is our quarantine um, guidelines a bit woolly in the sense that you got to quarantine for two weeks when you come into Ireland, but it's impossible to know if people will kind of thing. Yeah, no, they're not adequate. They're um, you know when you're dealing with something like this, and uh, yeah, and it's not just us. I know a lot of people. You know, when we look at evidence from from different cultures, we like to um, you know. If, Sometimes we don't relate to it as well. But, you know, the, the poor old Taiwanese also learned the hard way. They tried um, kind of voluntary self-isolation uh, on arrival from the airport. And then they ended up tracing a couple of dozen people to restaurants afterwards. Yeah, that's a worry, isn't it? So then, yeah, so, so you know, we're all human beings. Um, we all behave in different ways. And so in a public health emergency, you, you really got to be decisive about these things. And what are your observations as you move around? Are you out and about watching people as they queue and go about their, their daily life? Uh, there was some research there. RTE had it this morning saying that something like 90-odd percent of people say that they are physically distancing and washing their hands. But they probably would say that in a telephone poll. I mean, what are your observations of people? I think um, I think in most things, most people are trying. It's a, it, but it's a mixed picture, you know, so... Um, on the one hand, you've got so many people doing all the right things and um, they do their physical distancing. They do the things they've been asked to be doing. And then we have the house parties in in and around UCC, mm. you know, and this is all standard. If you look back to the history of public health, there's always been, um, you know, a minority of the population that has been um, non-compliant and problematic and has lacked respect for their fellow citizens. And um, that's had to be dealt with decisively. Um, so, but then you talk about, you know, face masks is the big thing that's missing. Uh, awareness of fomites and, and contact transmission is the other thing that I see most people aren't aware of. But that's because, you know, it hasn't been effectively communicated to them. And I think a big change in our language means to, and our emphasis would be to, you know, talk about there's a very big difference between suppressing and reducing and eliminating, you know, so, you know, so the more you can do, the better. If you can wash your hands and wear a mask, that's better. If you can maintain two dis- two meters distance instead of one meter, you know, that's better. And so there's still lots of opportunities for us to, for us all to really um, squeeze this a little bit harder and then to limit, you know, the potential consequences of us easing these restrictions, because I know there will be people who will, you know, rush down. I know those people queuing outside pennies from 4 a.m. You know, there will be people who will organize house parties. I know my daughter's been invited to a few slumber parties that Mm. uh, I've uh, told her is a bad idea. Mm. Um, You know, these things will be happening, but, um, you know, the less, you know, the the more caution as many of us exercise as possible, then the lower the risks of us digging ourselves into a, you know, a, a much deeper hole. So June 29th, then, is the time when people need to be more vigilant, not less. Yeah, and, you know, don't necessarily rush out and take full advantage of all the freedoms that we'll have back, you know, and um, you know, we're all struggling with this. We struggle with this in our family, you know. But the right balance between... Um, seeing a couple of friends, you know, while while there's a chance, and um, and then you know, 
the risks of becoming part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I had to clarify something yesterday with the Vintners Federation with regards to June 29th when you can go to a restaurant or, or go to a pub that serves food. I thought that it was a table of four people from within your own family could sit down to eat and have a few drinks. Uh, I clarified it yesterday with them. They said that, that I was wrong. A table of six would be family only, but a table of four could be me and three friends. Um, that seems a, a, a bit of a worry. I mean, I don't mean to be a damp- put a dampener on the party or anything, but that would be four people, not from your own home, sitting around a table in close proximity. Is that not a worry? Uh, I totally it's a worry. And, um, and if, you, you know, if you look at this, like the best, the best analogy I can make for, for an epidemic and the different components of it is like a, a coal fire or when you light charcoal on a grill for a barbecue. You know, when you want them to burn, you put them all together. Okay, when you separate them, you know the, the lump of charcoal doesn't burn hot enough to sustain itself. You know, so but so if you want to kill a fire, you just scatter those lumps of coal and they'll all burn out. Mm. But if you put them back together before they've cooled off, then and they reconnect and they're you know they're they're they synergize. They really get that 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 critical mass. Then you're kind of back to where you started from. So that's my concern is we've got a we've got a we've got a whole bunch of warm coals and you know, maybe you could pick one up and you know, juggle it around from one hand to the other and it looks pretty harmless. But if you take the restaurants, the pubs, the offices, the schools, um, Lord forbid mass events, you take public transport at full capacity, um, then you know the virus is is back in business, and um, you know, and and you know, the, the businesses and the the cocooners and the healthcare workers they're they're the ones who are going to suffer. So, so I yeah, I'm, I'm I I really I'm I'm uh, I'm not excited about August, September, October. Okay. You are one of a thousand um, academics and scientists across Ireland who signed this letter, sent it to government calling for the lockdown to be extended and you've gone through the reasons why in the last 15 minutes. But I'm getting an awful lot of text saying that we should not be engaging in scaremongering on the air um, you know, headline grabbing articles like this because people are terrified enough without having to listen to this they've gone through it all already. Well, how would you respond to people who say we shouldn't engage in scaremongering. We've been through the worst of it. Uh, well, uh, on a technical basis, I would certainly disagree. Um, I would say um, <laughs> some things. I've read some things people have said. Uh, I, you know, I'm not doing this for for the good of my health. I don't enjoy some of the emails I receive. I certainly don't enjoy. Um, some of these persons cast on my motivations, but I guess you know um, the alternative is that I don't, I don't uh, speak up, share my expertise, and advise people. And you know, I've been through this a few times before in my career. Yes, indeed, in, you um, did in Africa with uh, malaria, dengue fever, uh, Zika, and other viruses like that. Isn't that right? Yeah, and, and particularly I've been in a situation where. You know, oddly enough, I've done a lot of kind of fairly hard-nosed field work, but oddly, the theory has been the stuff that has been most important in terms of saving lives. There's been a few occasions where you know lots of people died because I couldn't convince a policymaker 
soon enough. Now, I that obviously messes with your head, but um, it's never because I didn't try hard enough. So all I can do is give people the best advice I can give them based on my understanding. And, um, you know, the rest is, is really up to the people of Ireland and to our leadership. Good man yourself. Appreciate you taking the call this morning. Um, much obliged to you. Uh, we got some texts and calls on this undoubtedly. Thanks, Professor Jerry. Um, have a good day. Uh, it's an interesting uh, perspective on things from a man who's been through it before in many different parts uh, of the world, including the continent of Africa. Professor Jerry Killeen. Those texts are interesting and I will come back to them. Uh, 50, uh, I know that we, the, one of the last figures that I gave you was that 54 people died from COVID-19 in Cork and Kerry since the pandemic began. Um, you know, when you talk about the figures that we would have been expecting at the start of this, uh, you know, every death is, is a sad consequence for somebody's life and their family. I understand that. But we, we should have been talking about tens of thousands in, in a period of three months. And we were talking uh, in and around, what is it now, 1,706 deaths and 25,000 confirmed cases. What was very interesting at the time was that 40 people died in Cork from March to May. Uh, and the median age of those who died in Cork and indeed in Kerry was 83 years old. Nationally, I think there was very few people under the age of 55 died. I think I'm open to correction on this, but I think the figure might have been something like 80. Uh, people who died were very, very old, unfortunately and sadly, and many of them were uh, suffering from other conditions as well. And then you had issues with regards to people who had who were immunocompromised and I went through the different conditions. We all know them at this stage, particularly with heart problems and breathing problems and what have you. But keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. I'll pick up on those after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Keep those calls coming. Let's get stuck in. Morris, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, what are your thoughts on that? This is um, the thoughts of Professor Jerry Killeen, who says that, okay, well, we want to dig ourselves out of this financial economic hole. We actually will be digging a much bigger financial hole and also a much bigger health hole because uh, we're moving through the phases too quickly. Uh, this, this, far, this virus is almost gone, Neil. It's only affected really people in care homes and nursing homes. It, it's almost gone. Oh, it hasn't touched uh, the, 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 the what you call the healthy population in any way, shape or form. Many of these people are just at death's door. Any little flu or bug or cough is just going to carry them off. Um, he's totally over the top. Um, you know, That's not so very worried. kind though, is it? To say that, that, that they're old anyway and they're on death's door? Well, they are. They're, these are the facts, Neil. They are at death's door and many people are at death's door in this country and the slightest little thing. Look, if this guy is so worried about diseases and pandemics, why isn't he talking about TB spreading all over the world or some they, they just want to focus exclusively on this COVID-19 things. And then there was this big kind of commercial racket that's grown up around PPE equipment uh, at, at the moment. They want to keep all that thing going as well. There was a lot of, a lot of special interests growing up around this COVID-19 thing. No, I think it's a hoax. I think it's a racket. I don't believe it. I never believed it from the word go. And I think people should just stop listening to this outrageous propaganda. It's just completely over the top. But what about all of the people who died all over the world? Huge numbers in America, huge numbers in the UK, incidentally. And now uh, the second highest death rate in Brazil. Neil, people are dying all over the world from all kinds of diseases and, and every and next year it's going to be the same way for flu. There, there, there were years there gone by when everybody got the flu, Neil. There were worse years. There's almost no flu this year at all, one, one way or the other. It, 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 it's just, it, it, it's invented, Neil. It, it's a lie. They're going around with their masks and what have you. But the, the people who are actually dying are the people in the nursing homes and what have you. And, and they're going to die anywhere, Neil. It's just a fact of life. 
and that, that's the reality of it. They do they do so every year. And yeah, but the first, year. just as an example, I'm just not giving I'm not giving any personal detail. But the first community case in Ireland was in West Cork. It was a farmer. He was only forty three. Well, so it's not all elderly people. I know I know the numbers of people under fifty five are very small, but you know they're they're still significant. I, I, I think it's an underlying health problem, Neil, and a, a lot of the people who, who die of all kinds of disease and, and farmers, let's face it, Neil, a farm is a filthy place anyway. Like, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they're hardly living in the most healthy environment you could find anywhere in the world. There's nothing unusual about this. There's nothing extraordinary. And I wish I wish these type of propagandists would not. They, they want to keep this thing going. There's a lot of money involved, Neil, masks and PPE equipment. They're making a fortune out of it. They want to keep this thing going. I don't believe it. I think it's a hoax. But an academic in UCC has no interest in PPE or making money out of any of this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you might you might say that about uh, pharmaceutical companies, perhaps, but you know, maybe even the odd dodgy politician here and there. But these are academics and these are medical people. Well, they're, they're all part of the bandwagon. At the end of the day, they want control, they want power, and that's how they do it. This is an exercise in social control, anyway telling people what to do and when to do do it. And it's actually ridiculous. I mean, if they were really serious, if, they, if it was really a public emergency, the buses certainly wouldn't be running. There's no way they'd let the buses running. And that's why it's a lie. And for many other reasons, it's a lie as well. Not one case. There's hardly a case yeah, outside of a nursing home. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to bring in Michael in. There's hardly a case okay. outside of a nursing home, you're saying, or a healthcare facility. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You're saying that, he's, uh, that Jerry Colleen is frightening the living daylights out of people. Absolutely, 100%. I think he's a total alarmist. And that was evidenced yesterday morning on the front page of the Echo. He didn't, he didn't, write, the, he didn't write the headline in the Echo, second wave Absolutely. on the way. He did, he did not, but he laid the comments which created the headline maker to make those commenting and quoting from him. You must realise this guy has been around the circuit quite a bit now. He's been in the studios above on The Tonight Show on numerous occasions. At one stage during that particular show, he wanted the studio cleaned up in front of him. And on another occasion, he stated he wanted the country closed down for four years. Well, I don't know anything about four years. I'll have to take your word for that. But he certainly is a background background in viruses. it's, but hold on a second. He stated factually about the four years. That's 100%. That's there and can be tracked and traced. So that is a fact. In relation to the viruses and all that type of thing, as your last speaker said quite clearly there, they are whipping up fear amongst people who are vulnerable. Certainly, the disease or the virus, as we understand it, does affect and attack certain people. And there's a history there where it does attack them. It hits people whose immune system is low, particularly, and where a host cell, where the immune system doesn't stand up, it hits a host cell and it creates all the bronchial problems. It also affects people with group A blood style. So therefore, that is the medical background to this. But the percentages, look at the percentages. 98% of people who have been tested are showing up negative. But they want to keep the bandwagon going all the time. This is huge. The economy is on its knees. The elderly people are absolutely scared out of their living lives. And we have politicians now who are slowly waking up. Look at uh, Professor Dolores Kahn who came up with the system there that nobody wanted to know some time ago. 
right? And she showed clearly and clinically from a huge background and they blocked her out. Why did they block her out? Because she had too much on the disease but, because but, she was a complete expert. Uh, I know. Listen, I want, things, I want things to, I want life to resume in every way, shape or form. And I think by and large, apart from a couple of bits and pieces like hairdressers and, and total pub opening and a lot of sport, a lot of that will happen on June 29th. But all he's saying is that where we're at now with little amounts of positives, no, no deaths, say today, that we're really only where we were at the back end of February. Uh, and in a couple of weeks' time, if we're not careful, the whole thing could flare up again when people throw caution to the wind. He is not no justification for saying that. Why? Why is there no justification? We're kind of we're kind of at now where we were at the start. He's so. there talking about second waves and third waves and fourth waves. They've been on about that since last March, Neil. It hasn't materialised in any way, shape or form. He has got no... It's, all they're doing is terrorising and scaremongering and it's not manifesting themselves. And if you believe that social distancing hasn't been adhered to and, and there's lots of examples that it hasn't, then why isn't the virus resurged and all the rest of it? You see, it's not standing up to scrutiny and that's why these guys have got to be questioned. Oh, undoubtedly they've got to be questioned, but I suppose they're entitled to an opinion and then you can question it, right? That's what this is about. Well, we are questioning it and I think it's time for people to stop listening to this hoax and that's what it is. Okay, all right, we'll get some more calls on the air, one 104106 Thank you, Michael. Morris calls the whole thing a hoax. What are your thoughts on it? one 104106 uh, Lines are open for that and lots more besides. We're asking this morning as well, and this is online, Cork Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, poised to become the first Cork Taoiseach since Jack Lynch. She will serve as Taoiseach until December 2022, if the government even lasts that long. And then the role will rotate back to Leo Varadkar. We're asking people, are you happy with this? Tommy says, a great day for Cork. You must be over the moon down there. Kevin says, I don't think it matters anymore. Whatever dross drives the bus, we're still in the same storm. They're all singing the same sheet. Owen says, putting Mihal Martin back in office would be like putting John Delaney back in charge of the FAI in nine years. That was said by Leo Varadkar in February. Any government involving Fine Gael is not for change. That's what Micheál Martin said in January. Neither of these men can ever be trusted to be Taoiseach on these comments alone. <laughs> that was said. Putting Micheál Martin back in office, we like putting John Delaney back in charge of the FAI. we got calls on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And by text, just wondering why these experts were not listened to. Their advice not heeded at the outbreak. Uh, a second lockdown will just be intolerable for those with mental health issues and indeed those who have become fragile mentally from this COVID. Did Ireland just make a total mess of the whole procedure, is he saying? It's so disp- dismaying, says Mary and Bishopstown. Morning, Neil. You should not allow this scaremongering headlining on the air. People are terrified enough without listening to this, says Stephen. Uh, in Bantry, when we go for a walk, there's uh, regularly teenagers, up to 30 of them in groups, hanging out with no distancing. They don't uh, even move away when you pass. They stand to the side, but not out of the way. There's also very few people down west wearing masks, says Megan. Well, the same can be said up here. You're not alone in that regard. This virus is a hoax. What about all of the people who will die from lack of cancer screening or folks worried about going to a hospital with stroke? Uh, another one here. I loved the interview with Jerry Colleen. He made so much sense. But then you gave out the ages of people affected by COVID. My parents are 79 and 80 years of age and listen to the show all of the time. Is that not scaremongering by you, Neil? I hope it's not. It's just, um, if, if anything, it's just making people aware 
of the age groups and those in society and those living amongst us who are most at risk. And I'm quite sure that your parents are aware that they need to mind themselves very much in these days as we go through it. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that I always thought that on June, June 29th, if you booked a restaurant, you could get the table and you had it for X amount of time and you went with your family, those that lived with you in the house. That That isn't the case. And if you go to a uh, a pub that's got a restaurant license or a pub that's serving food and i i don't have a, i don't have an opinion on this i'm not i'm not downing it in any way shape or form i'm just clarifying what i thought had been uh, my understanding of it which was wrong which means that you know you can go to a pub have a few pints and fish and chips with your mates on june 29th four of you sitting together at the at the one table um i think we're going to get a second wave of this but there is a good reason why. A lot of people have an overwhelming sense of entitlement and no sense of responsibility. And at the end of the day, money is always more important than human lives, says John and Skibbereen. Well, I think for those that died and the age groups that they were in, I think, um, you know, economically, a huge price was paid for it. And probably with hindsight being 2020, you know, we did the right things. Probably not enough. But we did the right things at least. Not enough of it. That's the only thing. Uh, if you want to see scaremongering, just take a look at the front page of yesterday's Echo. Blatant to see in every shop, putting fear back into the elderly and the vulnerable. Just when we have started to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, says Gary in Carrigaline. And he's, he's referring to the grabbing headline in the Echo yesterday regarding uh, my conversation with uh, Professor Jerry Killeen. Uh, lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Yesterday, of course, we had shopping malls open, um, and any shop in there that wished to open could. Not everybody did. Yesterday was a big day on the retail calendar, and of course, last week we had Brown Thomas and we had pennies into the mix. Mix two euro pennies, girl. Uh, and I've got a little vox because Seamus was out at both of them yesterday. First up, he was in Wilton, and then moved to Blackpool. Here's a little flavour of how he got on yesterday morning. I'm delighted the way they have it, even though. I don't like the walking, but I'll get over that to safe. But I'm absolutely delighted with the way they have it all, one way and everything. Very, very safe. Safer than the street. I've been walking for hours and hours and I can't get out. <laughs> oh, very strange to see only a few shops opened and just have to queue in certain places. And uh, it's all very strange, especially for... Uh, no lady like me <laughs> that you know that you're told where to go and where, you know I'm glad now that we have a few shops open and we can go and you know enjoy our <laughs> half an hour out <laughs> I'm delighted that Penny's is back anyway very happy with my purposes here might have went a bit overboard but <laughs> well I guess it's kind of handy you know the one way system for new businesses opening but I can see it kind of being a bit of a problem as well, to be honest. It's just kind of the whole adjustment period, I guess, we've been adjusting over the past three, three and a half months, so it's one more thing we're going to have to get used to. I actually didn't know Pennies was opening. I thought it was going to be open next week, but I suppose if it doesn't seem, there was no queue outside, really, so I guess if it stays like that, it might pop up to our lunch and have an all-look around, seeing what they have now for the summer. I got here early today just because I wanted to kind of avoid the crowds coming back to Pennies. Um, so... Uh, obviously, I'm expecting, and uh, it's a strange time to be pregnant during uh, this, during the coronavirus and everything. You, you just, yeah, and to have a small one as well. You know, keeping her in all the time. I'm going to try and get a birthday present for her dad uh, from the sports shop down there. Uh, lifestyle sports, is it? And uh, I'm going to probably try and avoid pennies to be honest for a few more weeks. It is way different. Just you know, just. 
He's the very same as me. He's the bagman. And that was from both Wilton and Blackpool yesterday. We've got some audio for you a little later on this morning from Maham Point, where Fiona Donovan from the Red FM newsroom was there with Mike in hand. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, we'd like to ask all our customers to respect our dedicated times for our over 65s and family carers. Yesterday ran out of time. There was a lovely article making one of the papers, the red tops, uh, the mirror had a, a, the, the 30 top mummisms, the things that your mammy said to you day in, day out, year in, year out, when you went around the house and didn't do what you were told. And the top one, they said, was money doesn't grow on trees. Second one was wash your hands. <laughs> Sound like Joe Duffy now. Third one, because I said so. That's why they were the top three. There's loads of them, and I won't have time to go through them all. But some of the other nuggets, and I med- imagine we all can relate to these. Sometimes it was your ma'am, mind you. Sometimes, like in our house, I have a thing about doors and closing doors. I don't know what that is between closing doors and turning off the immersion. Uh, shut the bar- shut the door. Were you born in a barn? That was fourth. Fifth was, have you brushed your teeth? Don't eat that. You won't eat your dinner. Don't slam that door. Come here. Do you think I'm made of money? Go to your room. Who do you think you're talking to? What part of no do you not understand? I'm not your slave, you know. I don't care what Johnny's parents say he can do. You know, my house, my rules. You have to the count of three. Then there are other ones, which, you know, I could go through them all. But one of them that jumps at it, when you have children, you'll understand. And one of the most leveling of them all is, life's not fair. (laughs) How infuriating for a child is that to hear? Life's not fair. And of course, the other one, as long as you live under my roof, you can finish it, go on. Well, there's a few adaptations of that. As long as you live under my roof, you'll do as I say, or else, as long as you live under my roof, you'll live by my rules. Mummisms, they call it. If I've missed any of those, let me know. Text 0868-104-106. More texts regarding 1979 since Jack Lynch uh, resigned and was no longer Taoiseach of the country. We have had, haven't had a Taoiseach on Lee side since then. We're within touching distance of one now. 
Fianna Fáil party and all the members have to, to vote on that, but imagine they will. I'm not happy, says Steve. Michal Martins shares none of the characteristics that made Jack Lynch such a great man and a great leader. Uh, Michael McGrath, Eamon O'Keefe or John McGuinness would have been excellent candidates as leader of Fianna Fáil and Taoiseach. I'm disgusted to see Michal Martin as Taoiseach. Steve, and I know this is online, but clearly you're not a cork man, are you? Or are you? Aaron says, I'm not happy, and to be honest, it's an absolute disgrace. But anyway, I've yet to come across an honest politician. Christina says, it's unbelievable. I thought he lost his seat. <laughs> Michal Martin. Uh, Michal being Taoiseach will make no difference. Politicians are all the one. Mind you, Dave does say optimistically, this is Ireland's new dream team. Well, the dream team does not include Sinn Féin. It includes Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens. Yeah, interestingly, some Green TDs didn't vote for it and others abstained. So they don't have everybody in the in the Green Party clapping and, you know, looking forward to the prospect of going into government. Um, I had calls in over the past couple of days with various politicians within Fianna Fáil and, and Fianna Gael. Um, uh, many of them have their phones turned off. I suppose they're gone to ground. I'm due a conversation with Hall at some stage. Michael, his phone isn't not available now. Michael McGrath's phone is turned off. Simon Coveney's phone is turned off. I'm happy to say, Donegal Lira's phone is not turned off. Never is, and he joins me by phone. Donegal, good morning. Good morning, Nate. How are you? Um, so, in one way, you know, it's it's good news for Cork if you put party politics aside that we will have a Cork Taoiseach, right? Respond to that. Well, like, I mean, look, I mean, it remains to be seen if you deliver for Cork. Like, I, I want to deal with this Cork thing first. It is, look, Obviously, Michal is just from a few parishes across from me, in front of the cross, uh, where he grew up. I appreciate that. And I know, like, you know, we have four TDs in the south side and, and several other TDs across the constituency. Everyone does their best for Cork. Now, you go through the programme for government, there's not a whole lot about Cork in it. Uh, even some of the stuff that is there is stuff that was already committed, investment in public transport and the Bus Connect scheme. That's already government policy. That's already existing government policy. Uh and, like, I will work with any TD, whether they're in government or opposition for the improvement of Cork. And whether I'm in opposition or in government, I'll work with anyone uh, to try and improve the lot of Cork. And I work with organisations. But are you asking me, do I think that Hall Martin is the best man to be Taoiseach, regardless of whether he's Cork or not? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I don't believe he is the right man. I don't believe he is, I don't believe that this is the right government. Uh, and at the end of the day, the people of Cork, when they cast their votes, Yes, they're thinking about their constituency, but they're talking about the country and they're talking about the policies on a national level that affect them, that affect oh, uh, whether they're going to be walking to 66 or 67, whether they're going to be able to afford a house, um, whether they're going to be looked after and cared for properly in terms of the healthcare service and not have to wait years and years for an appointment. So I know all of that. And, I, and I, I, I mean, I know all of those things and I can touch on all of those if you wish in a moment. But like we now have three senior politicians at the top table. We have Mior Martin as Taoiseach and we have Michael McGrath and Simon Coveney with big portfolios. Like, I understand what you're saying about transport. I read that as well and I saw most of the big money that's being spent yet again is being spent on Metro and Lewis and Dart and there isn't a mention of, of improvements for the second city. I understand that. But the, just the sheer weight of these three seniors, it's got to be good for Cork. I mean, Mior Martin is Cork first. He always was. Well, look, I mean, I suppose we'll see the proof of the pudding uh, in the coming years. But, like, I mean, if that was the case, I think there should be a lot more about Cork in the programme for government. Uh, and obviously, we've had senior politicians before. Like, I mean, we've had the Tarnas for the last couple of years, and we're still waiting on an event centre, investment in public transport. Seriously needs to be ramped up. 
we still don't have a location for a second hospital and there's a serious lack of affordable housing across the city. Well, they promised to build more housing than ever. I heard Simon Coveney talking about there. There'll be no tax increases, no change to the USC and the pension age will stay the same. Take housing first, Neil. I mean, I think they're trying to make a lot of housing. They're committing 10,000 less houses than Fine Gael even. 50,000 social homes in the next five years which is already in the National Development Plan. There was a need for an awful lot more than that. We were talking about 50,000 above that. Even Fine Gael were talking about 10,000 more than that in their manifesto, but they seem to have dropped that uh, and bizarrely it seems to have gone backwards from that. So it's not anywhere near enough to meet the enormous needs that exist across the state, obviously with demographic growth, but you know, the amount of people who are still on housing lists, you know, and how many years we're into this housing crisis and I'm still talking to people on a daily basis that are 11 or 12 years waiting on the house uh, that can't afford to get money together for a deposit, uh, that there's no affordable housing scheme that they can qualify yeah. for, that are getting noticed to quit because they can't afford the rent uh, or because the landlord wants to sell it on. But the housing crisis, I know we're obviously focusing very much on the origin crisis of COVID and that's right because we're, it's about saving people's lives and that's important. But uh, the housing crisis hasn't gone away uh, and it's going to continue to be an issue unless it's dealt with the message resolved. The problem for government isn't ambitious enough in that regard. And that's the problem with the document as a whole. Like in some respects, the thing has been drafted to try and, try and get across the line, try and get these three parties into Trying to cobble together a government, you believe, is it? That there's, no, that there's no real change reflected in the general election vote that saw Sinn Féin with the highest share of, uh, of first preference votes. Absolutely. And like, I mean, what's in it? It's very vague. There's an awful lot of we'll review, we'll set up a commission, we'll consider all that kind of stuff without any real hard targets, hard details, costings, talk of how much people, uh, how much the state will invest to fix all these problems that our society faces. And like you, you said it yourself, Neil, or uh, I suppose you were encouraging me to make the point, maybe, that um, like as far as we're concerned, there was a vote for significant change. And that's not just about personalities, albeit that I do think it matters who leads the government, but it was about a radical change in the way uh, that government has done and the policies that are delivered. And I don't believe we're going to get that. There's nothing in the programme for government that suggests that we're going to get that. A lot of reviews around some of the contentious issues and some of the non-contentious issues are, you know, as you were, really. Um, there's none of the kind of investment that is going to be needed. As you were, as in Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, as usual. Well, like, I mean, we've had a century of Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. Then we had kind of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael together the last two years. And now we have Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil together fully. So if you're going to call that change, I, I certainly don't see it. It's been a frustrating experience for me, to be honest, Neil. I was involved in some of the negotiations and some of the sessions with the Green Party. Uh, and I know our party was discussing with the Social Democrats, with uh, people for profit, with solidarity, with various independents. Unfortunately, we didn't have the numbers. And I suppose the largest reason that we didn't have the numbers is because the two larger parties... Wouldn't do business with you. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I think people have to ask themselves, why was that? And it's because... The programme for government that would have been negotiated was, wouldn't have looked anything like what we saw yesterday. It may, it may be frustrating for you now, but imagine how uh, Fine Gael must feel with the Irish Times Ipsos MRBI poll this morning that shows uh, Leo Varadkar's popularity rocketing. Apparently three out of four people in Ireland are delighted with him as Taoiseach and his performance during COVID-19. And Fine Gael have rocketed ahead 37% popularity as against 25% for Sinn Féin. And check out Fianna Fáil, 14% support. 
frustrated about that they'd been sold a pop is there a pulled a fast one is it Politics, my friend. It's going to be. It's going to be. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lesson learned for the next time. Sure, but I'm just making the point why people are frustrated, and I think I understand why they're frustrated, and I think it's frustrating for them. But I want to say it to those people, and I want to say it to everyone that's voted for Sinn Féin that we're not going to stop here. Uh, you know, look, I mean, whatever shape this process takes, and it may yet collapse. There's people in the Green Party posters, there's people in the Fáil posters, and if the opportunity presents, you can be sure that we'll be ready to get into negotiations. But if that doesn't happen, we're ready as well. We're willing to serve in government or opposition. If we're in opposition, as it looks like we're going to be, then you can be sure that we're going to hold this government to account and we're going to be as effective in opposition as this state has ever seen. What do they have to do now, Donica? They have to go back to their parliamentary party or is it to grassroots members of both parties, or all three if you like, to vote for this deal, is it? They each have different processes, but they all involve a postal vote. So Nagales is kind of a weighted vote. The Greens have, um, yeah, the, the Greens in Sinefall are one person, one vote, but the Greens have uh, have to get two-thirds majority. So I suppose that seems like the biggest obstacle. And you can see that even here on Lee side, that there's uh, criticism of that uh, from some of their some of their councillors. So, like, I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion. It's not a foregone conclusion that the Greens are on board then. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, you could even see that there was people abstaining that yesterday. And obviously, you know, look, I mean, I think there's people in the Greens that are also hungry for change. So I can understand people in that party, um, people who voted for that party, being a bit concerned about this programme for government, the lack of detail, the lack of commitment, the lack of any real significant change, you know, the lack of what we need to change you know, the great challenges in Irish society. So we'll have to wait and see if it falls through. As I say, we can be sure we'll be ready to step up. Uh, and if it doesn't, we'll be... Uh, Strong enough. We will be holding this government to account as well. But um, our determination to change Irish society remains as firm as ever. Uh, and I want to reassure the people who voted for us of that. And we will continue to fight the good fight. OK, my friend. Thanks for taking the call this morning. Donnick O'Leary, Sinn Féin, TD, Cork South Central. I'll speak to Miha Martin. Uh, Tishuk and waiting after 11 this morning, I'm told. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Oh my God, that's a super text. Well said. It's unsigned, but it really sums it up. Four seats in Cork South Central. It's looking like the constituency will have the Tishuk and two strong ministerial positions. And the fellow who topped the poll is sitting on the sidelines. Isn't democracy funny at times? And of course, you're referring to the fellow sitting uh, on the sidelines who topped the poll. Of course, that's Donegal Lira. So politics 
is a tough game, isn't it? And it's understandable why he said that he's frustrated this morning. Uh, lines open on that, one 850 If you have a question you'd like me to put to Micheál Martin, if everything goes according to plan, in a week, 10 days' time, whatever, he will be Taoiseach of Ireland. If you'd like a question... Uh, for me to put to him on your behalf, text 086-8104-106. Keep it short and to the point, and I'll get an opportunity to ask him some of those questions on your behalf after 11 this morning. Text 086-8104-106. Here's an interesting one, because an awful lot of things have been on hold, and I got a ferocious amount of emails and texts across the desk over the last few months. This is from a college student and a learner driver. In an extremely awkward phase of my life, uh, basically on pause, until I get a license, as I live in the country and my parents are still inside all of the time because they still would be classed as vulnerable. But my frustration at the government's response to driver testing, uh, like as if they've just forgotten about all of those learners, drivers, me amongst them. I completely understand the need for social distancing and the employee safety of the workers in the RSA. But the same department should have been proactive and understanding of the situation that's built up over the last few months. It's now June and the RSA has still not released any information on what date they're opening up. The leaving cert was quickly cancelled when the public started outcrying about the pressure was putting on young people in Ireland. But what about the stress trying to navigate going to college in September with a, with a ridiculously poor public transport, particularly in rural Ireland? And they'll now enforce social distancing, so the number on buses is even lower again. In many cases, there'll be no capacity for people to get to their work or college without a car. But no ability to drive to college or work without a test. I don't want to come across as complaining. I just want the relevant department of government to come up with some plan, a solution for drivers so we can get on with their lives. Did you know that in some parts of America, they have, have restarted tests where the test is contained in a parking lot and the tester is outside the car watching the maneuvers such as reversing into tight spaces, etc. Some states follow along behind the car like they do in a motorbike test. But whatever the case, it's realistic that it won't be for a couple of months until a test is possible. Maybe some of your listeners out there can relate to my predicament, says David. Well, absolutely. Anybody that was waiting for a test is in the same ball game as you. I like that idea of America, though, where, there, where they did different types of testing. Of course, some people were calling for an amnesty on anybody waiting for a test. But, at, you know, you were to do something like that, you could have... Very, very dangerous people getting licenses, you know. I mean, that happened in the past, way back, way, way back when, I don't know, sixty or 70,000 people were given uh, full licenses because of the backlog on provisional licenses back in the day. Anyway, lines open on that and lots more besides. one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. This is Tim Hutchinson here in Mayfield. My pleasure speaking with you. You want to make a, just a point on um, the, the oh, Peter Falk and Gail Greens? The general election yeah. in, in question. Now, democracy seems to have gone out the door. Fina, Fina, Fina Fall got less votes. The, the, who topped the poll was... Sinn Féin. First prep, no, well, let me, let me put it like this, right? Because this, this is interesting. I think Sinn Fein got the highest first preference votes at 24.5, right? By 535,000 votes. Okay, and Fianna Fáil came in second and Fianna Gael came in third. But Fianna Fáil actually got one more seat than Sinn Fein. That's correct, 37, 37, but the Count Carla swung it, I'm sure. 38, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be right. Okay. But that is not democracy then. That can't be. We have half a million people who have no say whatsoever in the running of the country, which is morally wrong. 
we're discarded. You know, I voted Sinn Féin. But you know, why, but you know why that happens? It's because of second preference and third preference and fourth preference votes. If, yeah, if there was only one vote, um, then Sinn Féin would be in government on their own. No, they wouldn't. No other party would go with against them. The other two would join up. No, what, but no, what I'm saying is, first preference is all fine, but it depends on who you yeah. give your second preference to and your third preference to. Well, obviously the Green Party got in on that on a few votes from uh, there. You go, Sinn Féin. There you yeah, go. Well, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, that's no problem. But the other thing is, then with Michal Martin in January, I'm sure he said he wouldn't join with Fine Gael. Well, his quote at the time was, uh, any government yeah. involving Fianna Gael is not a government for change. Well, and he joined them. Yeah. It, isn't, isn't, he tell, isn't he giving us a message? What's the you message? I mean? He's giving us a message, don't trust him, because he can change his mind at any time, which he has done, right? Well, what should he have done then? What should he have done at this time? Well, okay, his, for, his idea of a government is excluding Sinn Féin at all times whatsoever, all times. Yeah. That's, that, so that is, that is actually a slight on half a million of Irish people. No matter what way you look at it, he's ignoring us the whole lot. He's dropped us, just dropped us, that's it. That's, yeah. That would be my opinion yeah, as a man. But, right? Yeah. So, what what but, were the options if 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 it was a case of we'll never go into coalition with Fine Gael because that's not change. We'll never do business with Sinn Fein. Who's going to run the country then? Well, if there is principles in politics, he should have stuck by his guns. But that would be another general election. Then you're suggesting, is it? Well, no. Would he not know he's changed his mind before? Why not Why not go in with, with Fianna, Sinn Féin? I would certainly put that point to him after 11, that if you make a statement yeah. like any government involving Sinn Féin is not for change, why no. then have you gone in? Surely you should stand by what you say. Exactly. That's the All whole right. thing. Right? Okay. Not only that. Oh, yeah. And there's just one other thing which is amazing for me, like, the government, you know, over the shutdown and all that, the lockdown, we call it, over the COVID. Yeah. That's, that's great. I remember in, there was a match in Dublin. They, canc- they cancelled the match the whole lot, yet they allowed the most infected country in Europe, which were the Italians, they allowed the supporters, two to three or four, God knows how many thousand went to Dublin, yeah. and they allowed that. So that was, that was a blunder. That wasn't a mistake. That was a blunder, the whole lot. It certainly, in spite of them saying that it didn't have any impact, which was said a couple of weeks back, I certainly don't think... Dublin people. Yeah, I don't... the Dublin people. Yeah, I certainly don't think it helped, without a doubt. All right, my friend. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate your contribution. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone at 1-850-104-106. Just a couple of shout-outs for you. Could you please wish my parents a very happy 50th wedding anniversary? Wedding anniversary. Patricia and John Flynn. So looking forward to giving them a hug later. A huge one. Um, they haven't been able to leave the house since March due to cocooning. I absolutely adore them. They're amazing parents and grandparents. They got married in the Metropole. The celebrations are on hold. We have afternoon tea planned in my home. My mum listens to you without fail every morning. And she loves a mention. I'm truly blessed to have Patricia and John as my parents. They're always there, never complain, simply the best. And they're 50 years married. 
FM. Now, I want to wish you well. I'm not sure if it's today. I could well have had this yesterday, but it's certainly either yesterday or today. So happy anniversary to you both from Sharon, son-in-law John, grandchildren Darren, Dara and Lauren. Happy to do that. Happy 50th wedding anniversary. And also to Maureen Nolan and her mam Cora. Best of luck. They're traveling to Dublin today as Maureen has a very serious operation tomorrow. tomorrow. And they're saying, can people please think of her in their prayers. They'll be listening this morning as they travel to Dublin. So to Maureen Nolan and her mam Cora, best of luck. All right. Hope everything goes well. Ashling has been in touch, a family friend. We spoke to Maureen back in November after she met Westlife in Dublin. And she's their biggest fan. And unfortunately, she has uh, cancer, but she's still fighting the fight, the strong fight. So good luck on your trip to Dublin and whatever procedures you're going through. I hope they go your way. Lines open at 1-850-104-106. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, wow. Huge amount of emails and different topics, including um, an issue involving a family who are desperate uh, to get back to the South Side. In relation to the students you speak about on Magazine Road, my wife, myself and our four children are dying to get back to the South Side. Our children attend Turners Cross Primary School with our eldest going into fifth class. And she had uh, has already decided on Deer Park or Christ the King Secondary School. We were living in Turners Cross for five years before we were forced to move over the landlord selling the property. The only property we were offered was on the north side, which is a huge commute to get the kids to school on time every day. In our current residence, we have no lease, paying rent week by week to make sure we have a roof over our heads. But if they decide to ask us to leave at a moment's notice, we don't have a leg to stand on. We've been looking for a house to call a home for at least a year, year and a half, maybe now at this stage closer to two. Once a landlord or letting agent sees the kids, or once we mention we're entitled to HAP, we never hear anything back. We must have gone to over 60 viewings and have been never offered accommodation. On viewing, we were asked for a long-term lease as the only time we would, sorry, on viewing, we were asked for a long-term lease as the only time we will want to move if we're offered a council property, which would probably be in 10 to 12 years. Sorry, that makes, apologies, that makes no sense. Uh, all, all of the family and children's friends are on the south side. We're heavily involved in local soccer team in Balafihan Park. I coach uh, from under 5 to 11s and also play junior. Basically, if landlords won't rent to families, instead in trying to make a quick euro by renting to students and not caring about the property... Uh, they wouldn't be having these problems. The only noise would be kids playing instead of loud music. The house would be cared for as if it was their own. I feel students should be in student accommodation complexes and houses should be for professionals and families like ours, says Kevin. Well, one thing you're absolutely right on. If all students were only in student accommodation complexes and apartments and purpose-built buildings, then that would mean that there would be lots more houses in all of the suburbs, particularly areas of the south side that you want to live in, available to family like yours. And that's very, very sad. You know, this program for government where they want to build all of these houses, there could well be a house, if you're to believe the politicians in it for you, but it could be another three to five years and 50,000 nationally. That won't go very far, will it? I have a mobile home in Yall, and it closed on the 7th of March. It's reopening on the 29th of June. Yes, it is. The full ground rent has to be paid, including late fees, or you have to take your mobile off the site. Well, I had to do all of the maintenance around it myself this week, and the weeds were nearly the height of the mobile. The maintenance cost me €2,700. The only satisfaction we got was maybe a discount next year. Well, it's this year that people are stuck for money. 
I hope you can read this out and maybe someone will be brave enough to come on and speak with you who's in a similar situation, says Fiona, with regards to people trying to get back to their uh, mobile homes and getting no help in it. And huge response then to issues involving staycationing and the price of holidays um, here at home. The Dingle Skellig Hotel came up for some criticism the last couple of days. I looked at the Dingle Skellig today. They had a deal for two nights bed and breakfast in a family room and an e- one evening meal, two nights, family room, one evening meal, 630 euro. When I tried to proceed with the booking, it had a customer, customize your stay section. We had to put in the ages of the children. My girls are 10 and 7. When I put that in, the price jumped from 630 euro to 810 euro for two nights. This is an example of rip off Ireland at its best. I've since booked a self catering apartment in Marbella. On the main strip, sea view, breakfast each morning, guaranteed sunshine, four nights, 800 euro. We will be traveling. Flights are separate. I honestly believe now is the safest time to travel. We will have masks on for the flight. I think most places will be making a huge effort in relation to sanitation. Holidaying in Ireland is just so expensive. So it's a viva España for us, says Paula Finnerty, who tried to book a hotel um, in Kerry, but just found it too expensive. One quick one here. Listen to your program on Monday regarding Irish hotel prices. I think one of the hotels mentioned was the Dingle Skellig. For curiosity, I checked a random stay from August 15th to 22nd, seven nights. For bed and breakfast, the cheapest room, the price for two adults is €2,086. Euro. With two children, age 4 to 12 added, staying in the same room, the price goes to 2,716. With eating out and other entertainment added, you would be lucky to get away with a week's holiday for 3,200 euro in Dingle. Admittedly, it is a four-star hotel, but this is crazy for one week. Is it any wonder people are going abroad for their holidays, says Pat Crowley. And that's just a selection of a couple of emails, and there's reams of those in text as well, which I'll come back to. And it just takes some time out because um, we, uh, of course, um, uh, had a very interesting, uh, well, three or four months with regard to COVID-19. But if you look at, you know, what the Lord Mayor, the outgoing Lord Mayor, um, had to put up with during the course of the past 12 months, um, a normal start, everything was fine, maybe six or seven months of it, everything going, and then, of course, Everything changed uh, and uh, a lot of different visits and a lot of things that were planned. And, of course, the issues and everything, the celebrations around uh, 1920 all put on hold. Well, the baton um, for the office of Lord Mayor passed over at the at the back end of last week and the weekend. And John Sheehan now goes back uh, to his practice, stays on uh, as a local councillor, but hands on the mayorality, if you like. And he joins me by phone. Just a quick reflection on his year. Uh, Dr. John, good morning. You can hear me okay, loud and clear? Yes. Oh, brilliant. Sorry about that. Okay. So, kind of an an interesting year, a very different year, certainly the back six months of it, yeah? It certainly was. I mean, as you said, you know, it started really like like most large years, but I suppose it was a slightly different year in the sense that the city boundary expanded for the first time in 50 years. So, with all these new areas such as Blarney and Tower and Ballincollig and Glanmire and Frankfield into the city. So, that was quite exciting because... I the honour of it, you know, and every Lord Mayor says the school the school visits are kind of the highlight of the year, but and then certainly they are. But for me, I was I had the honour of visiting some of the new areas and being the first Lord Mayor to visit them. So there was a great old buzz about that, and um, it would really lift your spirits, Neil. And I, I'd encourage you if you can 
to, to I know Joe Cavanagh is the current town mayor, but to go on one of the school trips, it just would lift your heart for the day. <laughs> well, it's just fantastic. I can remember when the Lord Mayor used to call to primary and secondary schools, and it was a huge day in the calendar of the school because you got a half day and no homework and things like that. Uh, it was incredible, mm-hmm. you know, and kids love it. They love it. I've discovered that teenage boys in the school are the toughest audience that you can face in life. Um, you know, but the, you know, they're, they're all fantastic. And particularly the primary school, the smallies, you get asked every question. You know, how old are you? What colour was your hair? Um, you know, my, my favourite question of all was, um, do you like unicorns? <laughs> which really there is only one answer um, to that you know it was just fantastic you know? I assume they were very small toddlery primary school absolutely absolutely yeah. so is that, would that be the, the your, your fondest memory then the school visits it, it was yeah because you, you just get an appreciation for the work and the pride that each school has big schools small schools kind of country type schools uh, small inner city schools it really was it was very very um, um, uplifting the other big one then um, I suppose was the, the opening of the Mary Ellen Bridge and that was um, a really memorable event one, one because of the whole occasion of opening the bridge but mainly because we had the honour of meeting some of the people that Mary Elms rescued from the death camp in the boot of our car. They were in their 80s, a lady called Charlotte Berger and George Epstein. And they were children when she rescued them from the Nazis in the boot of our car. And they came over for the opening of the bridge. And it was incredibly moving That's sort right. of experience yeah. to yeah. sort of witness that history, you know, in real life. And then everything just fell off a cliff, right? And your uh, your appointment diary just emptied it really did my dance card just uh, was quite empty so we, we had all these commemorations planned for March for Tomás McCartan and uh, you know we had a fantastic event when he was elected Lord Mayor and then of course there was his murder uh, in March so there was about 16 events planned with all these different community groups throughout the city and Michael D. Higgins was coming down to Blackpool for the event and then suddenly like a switch the Patrick's Day Parade, everything stopped. Um, and the whole country just changed as um, um, as we know it. Um, so then it was quite interesting because, you know, you saw the state services, I suppose, kick into gear in terms of emergency planning. And there were plans for field hospitals in Cork. And because everyone looked at Italy and said, Jeepers, that's coming our way. So, you know, you, it was quite interesting to see how the agencies responded yeah. and how, you know, the army were planning in Collins Barracks and quite scary stuff at the time, but it was... Um, the temporary morgues and the um, the tents set up outside the Mercy, all of these things, that optically yeah. it was worrying, wasn't it? It really was, you know. And um, But one of the nice things about that is you really got to see how communities responded because the first thing that really people started doing is in their own areas that how can we look out for people? How can we mind people? There's an elderly neighbour down the road. How can we, you know, look out for them? And to sort of see that community response was really, really uplifting. So then I spent, a, a, you know, a number of times, you're, you're very limited in what you can do, but just going around thanking people and yeah, yeah. trying to encourage people and things like that. So it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we spoke on air, of course, primarily in the earlier days of the coronavirus. And, you know, we spoke every single week as we were going through things. Um, and, and I had Jerry Colleen on a little while ago, and he's saying that we went into lockdown uh, too late and we're coming out of it too soon. I mean, it's important to have these stories, but many people this morning are saying you shouldn't be gang- engaging in scaremongering when we need to be optimistic about the future. Some people even calling the coronavirus a hoax. Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly anyone who looked at Bergamo in Italy would realize it wasn't a hoax. Um, and if 
I've had a number of colleagues who, 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 who've caught it and they were quite sick with it. So it's one of those things, though, because, because we've done relatively well, and particularly Cork, and people in Cork have done really, you know, have done really well in terms of, like, the numbers. Um, we do get a bit complacent. Uh, you know, we think, ah, sure, if I got it, I, you know, I'm healthy, I'll be fine and things. And for most people it will, but for a significant number of people, it, it, it makes a huge, you know, uh, kind of devastating um, effect. So and hindsight is 2020, isn't it? We didn't really know what we were dealing with in the early days. Yeah, we didn't know. And like, if you didn't plan for all of these events, like the field hospitals and, you know, the ho- reconfiguring the hospitals and all that sort of stuff. And then if you needed it, you know, it would have been a disaster. So, you know, it's it's like being prepared for anything. You hope you don't need it, but you have to be ready for it. And did you did you practice all through the year as well? Did you still or did you have to take a sabbatical from the from the surgery or what? I took a sabbatical for about six months, Neil, um, from about sort of the end of the summer to January um, because of all the school visits and it's a very busy time. And then from January, I worked sort of two mornings a week um, to help out in the practice and also because I missed it. It's it's probably my first love. Uh, And then when the COVID thing kind of kicked off... um, I, you know, things got very quiet um, in, in, in the mayor's office yes. initially, so I was, I was a bit more in practice. And then the last month or so, things obviously are, are got busier again. One of the things I've discovered is if you're trying to do things by video clips or Zoom, sometimes it nearly takes more time than actually physically doing it. I know. Um, you know, um, but um, so it was just a new way of doing things, um, you know, with meetings and things like that. But so our, do- our doctors, just as a, by the way, are doctors back to physically meeting patients now or is it still prescriptions over the phone? It's about half and half. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm here in the surge this morning and we're sort of seeing half, you know, half of us, everyone who, before they come down, we would talk to them on the phone to make sure they don't have any COVID symptoms. And then we would sort of half and half. So gradually it's beginning to get back to normal. And I think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And you don't have a thought on whether or not we're moving too fast? No. I think we're moving at the right speed. I mean, if you look at other countries throughout Europe, now we are beginning to see, particularly in the US, now the US has been all over the place on this, um, you're seeing the numbers creep up a bit, you're seeing it a little bit in, in China. That's probably inevitably going to happen as we start spreading out more. But you can't stay in lockdown forever. You have to start, you know, you see, you, you've seen what's happened in the city centre in terms of employment. You have to start getting back to some element of normality. I think the schools and colleges are going to be back in September. There'll be a lot of hand washing. Maybe it'll be down to one metre. And then if you have any respiratory cough or cold, you're out. And, you know, life will go on. You know, people will adjust to it, you know. Okay. um, So the high points then would have been the school visits. Every Lord Mayor loves the school visits. The opening of the Mary Elms Bridge. The downside, of course, was you weren't able to get much of the plan done for uh, 1920. Uh, but say la vie in the times we live in. Any thoughts then, uh, as a Fianna Fáil man through and through, Micheál Martin, the first Taoiseach on Lee's side since Jack Lynch? Yes, I think um, I think it's, it, it's a good development. I think we need a government. I think we need a stable government. Um, I know there was a lot of dancing the last few months and people. it mightn't have been people's first idea of a government at the start of this process. Um, but I think potentially it, it can be quite a good government. I think it has to be quite um, ambitious and radical in what it's trying to. Uh, what, what it's trying to. Oh, no, no, I understand that, but I'm primarily talking about Cork. Is it? Will it be good for Cork? I think it would. Yeah, I think it will. You know. Um, do you think that his focus uh, yeah. and his pr- he will prioritise Cork, or is will he be allowed to do that? I wonder. His focus will be national, but by having senior people at the table from your area never hurts. That's the reality of life. You know, you have to look at everything equally. But if you have 
senior people. And, and, and you see it when you're trying to get things over the line, you know, and that if you have someone who's very intimate knowledge of something locally, that always helps. You know, that's the, the, and the reality. We, we've suffered perhaps a bit, well, we, we definitely have suffered a bit from, you know, everything being Dublin and Eastern Centric for the last number of years. We need to balance that out a little bit more. Okay. Will you just find it? Will you take a holiday now? Or what will you do across the summer? I won't, no. I, I, I'm back into work. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I kind of I enjoy work. Um, we'll get down to Kerry at some stage. I, I'm not a big sun man, so Kerry suits <laughs> me quite well. Uh, so over the summer, you know, once the restrictions open up, uh, hopefully get down to Kerry and get okay. a bit of uh, swimming and stuff well, like that. Listen, lovely uh, to catch up with you. Thank you for your year and for your you, contributions. Thank you for everything during the year. We My really pleasure. appreciate it. All right, mind Thanks. yourself. Dr. John Sheehan, outgoing Lord Mayor, hands over to Fine Gael, had handed over the weekend to Fine Gael's Joe Cavanaugh. We wish him well as well. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. I love holidaying in Ireland. We do it every year. I was checking prices on holidays in Wexford last January and February. You do during, you know, the early months of the year. You start looking at prices for holidays. I get that. Anyway, looking at January and February, Wexford. Uh, and I was uh, about to book somewhere in March for late July or maybe August and then lockdown hit. I just checked the price again now because we're thinking of going away for a few days with self-catering and the price that I saw back in January for five days is now the same price for four days. So they've upped their prices since March. I understand they are down business and have lost out on a lot of people but don't and don't have the money to burn now. Uh, Won't be spending, I don't have money to burn now and I won't be spending it uh, on things that are too expensive. They'll just save, we'll just save our money now and go on a foreign holiday next year. We paid 600 euro for a week self-catering in the same place in Wexford in 2014. And a week now is double the price, a 100% increase in six years. I understand what you're saying. Five days, uh, you know, was, you know, the, the price now is the same as it was for five days has now turned into the same price for four days. But if you look at the year, I'm not here to, to defend them, but if you look at the year they've had and the, you know, half decimation of half of their summer, and all of the lean months, you know, how are they going to make things out all, particularly with physical distancing and, the, you know, many parts of the hotels being closed? You know, it's going to be very difficult. Uh, quite an amount of text on that anyway with regards to uh, holidays. How about this one on single parenting? Small problem with booking hotels for single parent families. My daughter's now 13 and too old to sleep in the same room as me, says Joanne. But if you try to book two rooms, they say that one occupant in each room must be over 18. My fear is that you turn up and they won't let her stay in the room on her own. But then they'll charge you both. Try ringing, try ring and you and you get, ah, she must be over 18 to have her own room. Try to get an apartment and the costs start to rocket. Looked at one in Galway there recently and the cost for three nights in August headed towards 900 euro. Ireland is so expensive. I mean, I don't, I mean, like, I, I'm not to put, put this to you, but why wouldn't it be okay for a mother and daughter to share, to share the same room, like, like a family room? I'd love some clarity on that. Maybe I'm the one that's uh, way out of touch. I would have thought it'd be okay for the two of you to be in the same room together. She's 13 with her mam. Be different if she was with her dad, but with her mam, I suppose it should be. But anyway, I'm open to correction on that. Text 0868-104-106. What have we got time-wise? Yeah, I've got a time for a call or two. Absolutely. Patrick, good morning. Neil, how are you? Okay, so on um, the um, fact that Micheál Martin's going to be Taoiseach on a lease sider, go ahead. Yeah, basically I just can't understand why people are just being so negative about the whole thing. I mean, he's one of our own, he's done well, he's stuck in his job, I mean, when he could have easily walked away. Uh, well, people will always be faster to criticise and contact a radio yeah, well, station course, rather yeah, than... Like, 
Yeah. It's the crash as well. They blame him for the crash. It's like the usual thing, a success story. Somebody does well, put him down. Like, he wasn't responsible for the 2008 crash all by himself. Mm, I remember who was Taoiseach at the time and what he was saying and all yeah, this. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. But was Micheál Martin responsible himself directly for it? No. He wasn't, and it was an actually a worldwide crash. It just wasn't an Irish crash. All right, fair enough. But the, the, the main the, the main criticism this morning is that he said in the lead up to the general election, oh, any government between a gale, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you can you tell me one politician that said they'd never do something, or you know, and that haven't done it? But that's just why one. they say when a politician's lips are moving, they're not telling the truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so there you go. So in other words, like just because it's him and he's not from Dublin. He's not getting the popular vote. He's a Cork lad. He's done well. I mean, we should be proud of him in Cork. Yeah, I know, but it like I mean, the criticism. He's, he's, the criticism. Oh, yeah, mad government. Oh, they all done bad, and they done this and that. He stuck. He stuck it out. He took the abuse. Yeah, but people are very annoyed. A proportion of them that we didn't get the change that many many people had voted for, and we got the same old thing again. Just pulling the greens to save the day, and it's Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Right, okay. Nobody knows what to change with a boss. Would you be afraid? It's not important what I think. I'm just talking about what people voted for and uh, and, and Sinn Féin yeah, got I, I, I don't know. I mean, in all fairness, I mean, yes, uh, Sinn Féin done very, very well. They've gone out of their way to make sure that Sinn Féin didn't get in there. We have what we have. But wouldn't it made more sense to have two Republican parties in government? Which would have been Fianna Fáil and Fianna oh, Gael. Totally. And, totally and forget about this civil war politics. politics. I would have loved to have seen Sinn Féin in government. But I mean, the thing about it is, we are where we are. We all would not, you know, we'd have all loved to have not seen the coronavirus, but we are where we are. I mean, get on with it, be proud of him. You know, I mean, I know that he's reached his pinnacle of ease of what he wanted to do, but instead of knocking the guy, like, I mean, who stuck 10 years, I mean, could you stay in the job where you were constantly, since 2008 or 2009, getting abuse for the country being brought to its knees? Well, I mean, politicians thrive under those circumstances a lot of the time. I know, but he like, could have walked away very easily too, but he didn't. He stayed, got his top job, and look, he's probably walked away from politics at the end of it, I think, after his two and a half years. He okay, retired. so let's let's get back to the main point, of course, and that is the fact that he's from Cork, and he is going yeah. to be a Cork Taoiseach, and we're going to have three yes, exactly. senior members in the Cabinet. Is that going to make yeah. a difference to Cork? Did it? Can anybody remember well, whether Simon it did? Simon never really made a difference to Cork. I don't think much, did he? Nah, no, give him his due. He's the man that has been driving and very frustrated by many things, including the convention centre. If, if he wasn't... And where's the convention? How long was the convention oh. centre going on, Neil? How long have uh, you been uh, radio work? I know, I know. It's been going on I mean, for... what, like, I mean, he's Minister for Foreign Affairs. He's responsible. I mean, most Cork TVs are now ministers for Dublin. You take all this green pathway a million quid a day, that's all going to be based in Dublin. I mean, we've won Cork to the who got the most popular vote in the whole thing, and he's nothing got to do with government. That's Donegal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Top the poll in the, in the whole place, and he's nothing to do with government. Now, three of them, will they do anything? I don't know. I mean, will any of them ever do anything? I don't know. I don't think so. So, But, but you're still saying at the same time that it won't make any difference that Donegal Lear atop the poll, but in spite of yeah. all of that, we should be proud of our own and be celebrating... If he was a football player, would we be proud of him? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, like, well, probably, yeah. Yeah, so because some guy reaches the top of his career in Cork, the lad's done well, 
But why people, why not, but people don't, people don't see, like, I mean, people see politicians in a more sinister, suspicious way than they do GA they do, footballers yeah. or They don't players. want politicians to earn money. I wouldn't do their job for love, not money. Okay, he took the abuse when he could have walked away. We should Easy be proud of him. Stop putting him down. You know, yeah, but I mean, I know loads of people going to come on the radio saying, what's that clown talking about? And look, he destroyed this. He destroyed that. And they done this and they done that. Look, they're all the same. And it's just like, look, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should try to be happy for a change. He's Cork and that should make a difference. Well, I think so anyway. Okay. I think, you know. Give the guy a go. Give the guy a chance. Right, okay. He stuck it out. Took abuse for 12 years, which I wouldn't have done. All right, let's, gone a long time ago. let's see if he ever thought about just packing up his bags and leaving. I'll talk to him after 11. Thanks, Patrick. All right, talk to you then. Bye-bye. Text, so it takes 8 106 Pick up the phone on one 104 uh, Michal Martin is not liked within his own party. He's the fourth most popular leader, but yet he's in line to lead the country. Uh, dirty politics is alive and well in this country. Um, does Michal Martin's work mean anything? He campaigned on the fact that he wouldn't go into government with Fine Gael. I think the country is in real trouble now going forward. Hey, you had to wonder as well, how long would a government of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens even last? Um, and then there's more. I can't understand Sinn Féin and the others. I can't understand Sinn Féin. Um, them and the others made up 84 people as far as I know. So why didn't they try and form a government? In my eyes, Sinn Féin didn't want to govern. Well, they said that they tried their hardest. They spoke to independents, spoke to smaller parties, but it didn't work out. And we got very much the same traditional type of uh, Irish political structure in the Dáil, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And it's been that way for a long, long time. Martin's ego trip will be fed if this goes ahead and he becomes the leader of a totally undemocratic process. That's what worries me going into the future as Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have virtually signed a pact that they will both always be in power. And the heads of Europe just let all this happen. And one quick one. How on earth, Neil, will uh, Michal Martin have any credibility in Northern Ireland asking loyalists and Republicans to sit down and talk when he won't even talk to Sinn Féin himself? And if Boris pulled out of the trade talks with the EU, it'll be a whole different ball game, says Desi. Right, we'll have more text calls and Michal Martin after 11. one 106 Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And our lines are open as always on 1850-104-106. By phone, Michal Martin. Michal, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Is it is it too soon to call you Taoiseach, Taoiseach and waiting? Is it too soon to be congratulating you? Absolutely, it is too soon. Um, uh, The parliamentary parties of of, of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Green Party have approved... Uh, the programme to go to their members for ballot. So that'll take place over the next 10, to, to, to 10 days uh, and more maybe. Um, our ballots will, will, be, will go out tomorrow. Uh, so we have to get a majority of our members to support this. Uh, every single member has, a, has an equal vote. Uh, Fine Gael have a college of electors and the Green Party equally will be uh, sending out a, a ballot to each member. So they have to get a two-thirds majority. So that's a significant um, threshold to pass. So this, it is a bit too soon, but we've, we've made progress. So I think we have a good, strong program for government with a good content in it. Um, obviously, will will have to be delivered subsequently. But I think it, it, it does speak to the immediate issues facing us, economic recovery, uh, a job stimulus program in July, um, and, and the need then to deal with, with housing and health uh, and climate change.
Okay, a little, because, little early you say because not all of the Greens on board and even some members of Fianna Fáil not on board apparently. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think there's been uh, a political party in a situation like this who didn't vote for going into government in the past. So there wasn't. So it's, 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 probably, it's probably a done deal really all but a name. Well, I wouldn't quite say that, no. I, I think, um, you know, politics is changing all of the time and it's evolving. <clears throat> and I think it's different. Politics today is clearly different from the past. So I, I, just because it didn't happen in the past doesn't mean it couldn't happen now. And as, uh, I think we're taking nothing for granted within our own party. And, and there's a strong campaign underway. Uh, members of the parliamentary party engaging with the membership on the ground, uh, engage, engage, talking to them uh, and making sure that, uh, you know, trying to persuade people to vote for this. And I'm sure that's going on in the other parties as well. Um, so, so if all if all of this, this happens, you'll no longer be dogged with the mantra of or the mantle of the, the first Fianna Fáil leader that never made Taoiseach. Yes, that, that was uh, every interview I did for 10 years. Yeah. How, how did you feel? How did you feel about that? Did it dog you? Not really. Um, when, when I first became leader, um, I, I just focused on the immediacy of, of, of rejuvenating the party at the time. And, uh, and we um, had come out of that election in 2011 with 20 seats. So I was concentrating on getting new uh, talent into the party, new, new younger members to run for election in the local elections. Uh, and, and subsequently then the general election of 2016. Um, and, and that... That was my immediate focus. I, I, at that stage, I wasn't looking at um, the prospect of, of um, going into government. But things moved quickly. I think we did better than most people thought in 2016 general election, so that put us back into the frame. Um, and um, so, so it became clear to us in, in the last number of years that anything was possible after that. Um, so, but it is a much more fragmented party system now. So, you, you know, I'm a realist and I'm philosophical about these things. It's, uh, and I, but I took a lot of um, satisfaction from in, in the last number of years as leader as the party was, you know, enabling new people to come through both at local level and national level. Yeah. And it's yeah. like in charge of a sports team, if you like, if yeah. you can yeah. bring new people into to politics. I think that's a positive thing well, in itself. Yeah, and, well, and also to impact on policy and to try and do the right thing by the country. OK, but what's it going to mean for Cork? Um, you're going to be Taoiseach. Um, Simon Coveney is going to be a senior ministerial portfolio. So will Michael McGrath. But you're going to be the boss, will it be good news for Cork? Or will you be able to deliver for Cork? Well, I think, um, obviously, it's a government that has to look after the entire nation. Uh, and, and that's obviously the overarching focus. Um, that said, there's a clear um, focus in the programme for government for uh, a rebalancing of the economic situation in the country to get the cities stronger. And uh, Cork would be one of those cities, uh, Limerick and Galway as well. But would you be, um, will you unashamedly Waterford. push Cork now? Well, look, I, 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 if I was to become Taoiseach, in, in, I would be a Taoiseach for the entire country. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when I was a minister in different departments in health and in education, we managed to get very significant developments in, 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 in Cork, particularly in the University Hospital, the Cardiac Thoracic Centre, for example, the Maternity Hospital. Um, but so, you know, the programme for government itself is heavily weighted towards developing the cities and getting a, an equal, a more balanced uh, economic development in the country because it's all very much, as you know, concentrated in the East at the moment. Uh, so I think that's a general desire across all parties. So, for example, looking at transport modes for Cork, light rail, getting the planning on that going. Yeah, but all of the money, that, all of the money that I see being spent or being put aside for all of that seems to be light rail, Dart, Lewis, Metrolinx, all Dublin. 
Nobel, Cork as well, and 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 other cities. But also, um, you know, there are road infrastructure projects in Cork that have to go ahead. And also, if I was in the city council now, in the county council, I would say, you know, accelerate your plans in terms of greenways, in terms of cycleways, um, because there will be significant extra funding allocated for walkways um, and cycleways, good proper. Um, quality uh, cycleways um, and I think that's something that people would welcome uh, and I know plans are, are underway already within the City Council and the County Council towards Yeah that I know end. cycling's important, um, I know that roads are more are important too but so are housing, a lot of questions about the pension age, uh, where are we at with that? Yeah well on housing there's a very strong section in, 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 in the programme for government both public housing, there's a commitment there for 50,000 houses <clears throat> which is challenging um, but I think we want to put greater priority on local authorities building houses as well as the land and development agency but and I want to fast track that and I want to see greater um, acceleration of projects and getting them done uh, and also to try and facilitate the private sector uh, in the construction sector to get houses built as well because that you know pre-COVID and post-COVID I think the idea that young people in particular can aspire to own their homes is important and that people have access to housing uh, in terms of the pension, the uh, proposed increase to 67 will not go ahead now in January. Um, and the, instead, a, a pensions commission has been established um, to uh, look at the broad issue of pensions. Uh, we, we do have to look at the sustainability of pensions into the future because we're, we're all living longer. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the older um, proportion of, sorry, the population will become older as, 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 we, as we develop as a country. Uh, we're young, relatively speaking, compared to European countries, but that's going to change, and we're going to have to provide for that. Um, and, and yeah, but many of the people who are asking this question are people who are approaching pension age at the moment, yeah. you see. Yeah. And, that, and as I'm saying, the, the proposed increase that was there provided for in legislation will not now go ahead uh, next year. And also, if you reach the age of 65 and you're required to um, retire, you will not have to apply for job seekers. Um, okay, get, so the, it's uh, as you were for now anyway. Well, you get a pathway pension, yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's no proposal to increase taxation because of COVID-19 or anything like that, and there's no plan to increase universal social charge? No, there's no plan to do that. Uh, and that's actually stitched into the programme for government. So and how are we going to claw our way out of this, this COVID mess then financially? Well, two, two, two things. First of all, we, we, we believe as three parties that there should be an immediate um, jobs plan in July to try and deal with the immediate impact of COVID and particularly focusing on the small to medium sized companies, particularly in hospitality, retail um, and, the, and the broader tourism industry which is on its knees because of COVID-19 and a uh, very, very difficult scenario ahead there. Um, and so that's the first priority but then we have to develop a national economic plan, recovery plan um, to, and bring new elements in such as retrofitting programs for example that will increase employment um, and, and in many ways working to the domestic economy uh, and the housing sector will play a part in that as well um, to try and get domestic demand going and, and to try and get consumption going within the domestic economy. But is the, this stimulus package, does that involve grants? It will involve a combination of, of grants and soft loans to companies in particular. Uh, some of that is happening, but we, we'd like um, a stronger focus on that for the SME sector in particular, um, because I think there are many viable companies out there um, who are in difficulty through no fault of their own, um, but because of COVID-19. And we do need to target those companies to make sure they can get through this period so that when things get better, um, that, they, they, that they can, you know, um, strengthen and, and, and develop. We yeah. don't want to lose companies. 
you can see in the childcare sector that's a, a danger as well. We want to keep as much childcare provision as possible, um, and that will need continued support. I think, to be fair, the wage subsidy scheme has helped very significantly in tiding companies over and enterprises over uh, for the last number of months, and that, that will have to continue for some time, yes. Now, the, the fiscal rules in Europe has changed. We're allowed to borrow significantly, and in 2020, there has already been very significant borrowing, and there'll be a very significant deficit at the end of the year. That will continue, I think, into next year. Um, and the idea being that we can use that funding to, to, to reboot the economy, uh, create employment growth again, and create economic growth. That would then allow you to, to balance uh, and, and reduce the deficit over time. Okay, a lot of people this morning have been talking about what they voted for in the last general election. In fact, uh, Donnick O'Leary said that he was absolutely frustrated, particularly by the programme for government, because there's nothing new in that. People didn't get what they voted for with regards to the general election. In fact, many people have reminded me this morning that you said uh, back in February that any government involving Fine Gael is not for change. And then, of course, Fine Gael said putting Micheál Martin in office would be like putting John Delaney back in the FAI. Can you understand that this amount of cynicism and, uh, uh, and criticism of the arrangement between you and Fine Gael? Yeah, of course I can. But equally, you know, Sinn Féin would have said some terrible things about me as well. And, um, and Sinn Féin are saying, you know, that uh, on one hand, Sinn Féin are saying we've plagiarized our policies, uh, which we haven't. And on the other hand, they're saying there's nothing new, but it, it can't be both. Uh, and they need to, to, to clear that one up. Um, I think it, putting personalities aside, if you actually look at the programme for government, it, it is without question. No, but you said what you said. Any government yeah, involving Fine Gael is not a change. And here we are with the Fianna Fáil of Fine Gael government. Because we've, look, the, the people spoke. Um, what's put together here commands over 50-odd percent of the electors uh, and, the, and the majority in Dáil Airden, if it was to be approved by the three parties. That is how parliamentary democracy works. Um, and that's how it's worked since the foundation of the state. The parties get together who believe they can put together a similar program after an election uh, to enable a government to be formed. Well, why, would wouldn't wouldn't it, why wouldn't you? I mean, I don't mean to revisit or refight it again, but two Republican parties in government would be much stronger, wouldn't they? You and Sinn Féin. But uh, look, as I said earlier, I mean, <clears throat> and I've dealt with this, in, 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 and, um, you know, when, when the election happened immediately after my election, Sinn Féin wanted to form a, um, a left alliance, you might recall that. <clears throat> and they actually said then that the last thing the country needed was Fianna Fáil in government and Fianna Gael in government, and they, they said that separately, and that, that was very clear in the first two weeks after the, the general election results. No, but Mary Lou told um, me she'd be very happy to go into government with Fianna Fáil. Well, she said the opposite on the election day and in the two weeks after the election. And yeah, but you, but, but you, you did as well, where you said any government involving Fianna Gael is not for change. No, but I think in the aftermath of the election. You're just saying that we're at where we're at. We had no choice but to go in with them. Otherwise, well, I think, they no, I think we, we, what we have here is, 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 is the potential of a government that is sustainable and that can deliver a programme for change. I actually think the, the, the programme for government itself represents very fundamental change. I mean, there is a strong green dimension to, to the document. Um, but there has to be. Well, there has to be, sector. because otherwise you wouldn't get into power. No, it's because what we want to do. I mean, I would, I would argue that Sinn Féin's policies in climate change are very poor, and were very poor in their manifesto. Uh, I think their economic policies weren't strong. They wanted to tax small businesses out of it, uh, and, 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 and enterprise. They weren't pro-enterprise. We are a pro-enterprise party, and make no apologies for that. But I think on the, on, on the climate change, you know, I believe passionately in it. And that's why there was an open door to, to, to many of the, of, the, of the demands of the Green, not demands, but policy positions of the Green Party, for a party um, that got seven percent of the home. first preference votes, that they have such a high power position in government, when Sinn Féin had a quarter of the first preference votes and have no look in at all. 
But, but I remember when Fianna Fáil had 40% of the vote and had no luck in. And, Six and, times in the past. Like, that happens nearly. That's, that's parliamentary democracy. No one who gets 20% has a divine right to government. Or no one has. And we don't either. Um, it's trying to get a coherent... You, you wonder, actually, I've got to wonder about you know? that divine right. When you look... I mean, you don't take polls very seriously, do you? But nonetheless, the Irish no. Times puts, like, the Fianna Fáil support plummeting down to 14%, Fine Gael at 37 and Sinn Féin at 25. If there were an election in the morning, you might even be lucky to hold your seat. Look, I, I had the same in 2011. We, we held two seats at the exact same poll and myself and Michael McGuire both got two seats um, in, in 2011 despite all of that. My, my mandate comes from the ballot box. Yeah, but you, oh, yeah, no, no, it no, does, no, no, but, you didn't, but you didn't top the poll. We've got to remember that. I don't, I'm not worried about topping the poll. We've got two seats. We, got, well, we were the largest party in Cox Central, Fianna Fáil were. But that's not I'm into that. I mean, with two of us got elected. The, it's the ballot box determines, the general election determines the mandate of any Doyle. And everybody, by the way, has, Sinn Féin included, have a mandate in Doyle, and that's what we're elected to Doyle. Oh, but, no, but I'm, but I'm but, disappointed but, to hear you say that you yeah. don't have a special mandate for Cork. You say, oh, no, no, it's got to be for all of the country. We have to look at all areas. Well, that's not what we want to hear down here, really. But I think people in, in Cork know my track record in Cork uh, on a whole range of projects, be it in health, education. You just have to look at the School of Music. Um, very sustainable, long-lasting uh, developments that, that uh, when I was a minister I was able to uh, support uh, and sanction for, for, for Cork um, and um, uh, you know and, and, and was in a position to support great projects like Marymount Hospice the new hospice and so on which is such a wonderful facility uh, in combination with the people of Cork who, who fundraised enormously for we, as Minister for Health I was able to give substantial funding at the time and sanction it for it so you know uh, in, in, in line with national policy um, I think we have to uh, as I said to you earlier develop the, the cities out in the regions, that's that's national policy. I think Cork will benefit from that. But Cork has the wherewithal, Neil, to develop and grow. We have a strong university sector now, with the CIT becoming a technological university, which leads. Yeah, look, I mean, I know that. I mean, you, you are you no, are you are aware you are aware of the huge encroachment and the problems that UCC are creating and CIT by way of their students and their carry on in the areas of the south yeah. side. You're across that. Up, unacceptable uh, and very angry and annoyed about it. Uh, and um, I, in my view, uh, you know, just uh, really in the context of COVID-19, uh, just not fair to the residents and, and the community uh, in, in, in that locality. Um, very, very angry about it. And I think, uh, you know, the people should not congregate uh, and, and rent houses short term. Um, really to the to the huge discomfort of, of the residents, the long-term residents. Uh, and that's not good behaviour, in my yeah, view. And nothing is changing year in, year out. I mean, I don't mean to spend a whole lot of time on this, like, but, but, but UCC and CIT just get bigger and bigger and bigger with no forward planning as to where these people are going to live. Well, I think people are taken by surprise in this, with this summer phenomenon. Well, forget, about, it, forget about summer. You're looking well, to house people and the houses have been taken um, and turning into slums, many of them, because of students taking them over where families should get them and students well, should be in... in in, in we should accommodation. Have, we should build student specific purpose built accommodation for students uh, and that's what I would support and, and want to see more of uh, and support the, the colleges in, in, in that regard both the CIT and the universities they create enormous employment as well in the city and that can't be forgotten and also they help to attract inward investment into Cork uh, and you know one of the great strengths of Cork has been the presence of very strong pharmaceutical industry uh, very strong biotech and very strong uh, technology companies 
uh, and the, through many recessions, they've been the mainstay in Cork's resilience. Oh, we're, we're into a, we're into a recession. We're, we're into a recession again now, and people are asking why is it many people working in the private sector took pay cuts of ten to twenty percent when TDs got a wage increase and took no cut at all. What do you think of that? Well, it, 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 there was a national wage agreement last year, Neil, um, in, in terms of the public service in general. Um, and, and TDs are connected into the, the principal officer grade. That's been the way for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, but you could lead by example, couldn't you? All the politicians, some of them, Sinn Féin, gave money back. You guys didn't. Uh, look, I've heard this time and time again about Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin told us that 20 years ago, and they, they didn't give the money back at all. They just kept it in their own coffers and redistributed it. You know, I mean, in terms of okay, back to the Department of Finance at the time. You remember they said they were taking the average industrial wage. That never happened. Well, that was, that was proven. But you can still retire long before retirement age, hugely inflated pensions. And at this time, it's a text from Daniel and Ballyvalan showing no leadership by taking any wage cut whatsoever when people have lost their jobs. Well, we did, and, and I did in the past. And um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I, I'm not... I didn't retire uh, when I could have easily retired 10 years ago. I'm committed to public life and to public service, uh, Neil, and will continue to be uh, and will do everything I possibly can to assist people individually, communities, uh, and the country as a public representative, be it in Dáil or in government. That's my objective uh, and that's my commitment. Um, uh, that's that's fine, but don't, touch, but don't touch my salary, is it? <clears throat> I'm not saying that. I mean, whatever to transfer. I think personally, Taxation is the best way to deal uh, with, with income and salaries. I'm not into gestures. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, when I was... So all of us that took a pay or cut then, it was... Just, if I could make a point here, just... A gesture? I, for example, when I left government the last time, I didn't take um, uh, my servants or anything like that. I gave it back to the Department of Finance. And it was quite a substantial amount of money at the time. And I had no issue about that, and I did that uh, at the time. Um, so I have no issue in the future either doing the right thing. But I, I'm not into individual gesturing in that regard. I think um, taxation is the way to redistribute wealth and, and, and to have a progressive uh, system. And, and the higher you earn, the higher the tax should be. Uh, that would be my general approach. Um, and um, th- th- this idea of that sort of one person trying to outdo the other person in any profession, I don't agree with, actually. Um, that's just a personal view uh, or trying to score points over others uh, in relation to that. Well, it's uh, a question. My view is like TD shouldn't be getting involved in, 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 in determining their own wages. It should be objective and independent. Uh, and that's why it was set a long time ago to, to public service rates so that TDs wouldn't be involved. Uh, yeah, it's, you can't, because um, then you can, because you know? then you can, you can distance yourself from the public sector pay agreements by saying, well, we, it's, it's nothing to do with us. Well, it's, it's also it's a proper way of doing it. Um, subjectively doing it isn't the correct way to do it. Uh, and um, uh, that, that, that would, that's my view on all of that. Um, and and, uh, and look, there will be further reforms in relation to that. But that, that's my view on that. Um, because we, every year you can keep on saying that. You know, someone can come forward and say, you know, and I just don't think that that is the best way to do it. Uh, I think taxation uh, is, is the most effective way to do it. Uh, and, and, and also, um, I think independently doing it outside of of, of, of people trying to, uh, being responsible for their own pay increases, which I don't think is a good thing at all. Um, okay, and, okay. Uh, historically, it hasn't been a good thing. Okay. That would be my, my own view on that. Uh, Vincent asked to call about the old age pension. I've done that. Delighted for me, Hall, but will we get all the, du- will, but will we get all the Dublin got since we don't seem to even seem to exist? There is no world outside of Dublin. In other words, if Michal Martin gets to be leader of our country for only two years, is he entitled to the pension or does he have to serve a, serve a full 
term. Is that a fair question with regards to a Taoiseach's pension for half a term? I have no idea to right now, uh, and it's not on my agenda. It's not my, um, I don't tend to retire after um, uh, becoming Taoiseach, or, you know, when, when, when that term ends, if, if it's all to happen, I put that if in because there's a, bit, a distance to go yet, so I will continue on um, uh, in government and in the Doyle after that, so I won't be returning any time after that, so um, so that doesn't arise uh, in, in the immediate sense, and I don't know what the actual terms are, and uh, you know, you, you gather from my life like that retirement has never been quite top of my agenda, Neil. Yeah. Uh, has this uh, been top of your agenda to lead the party and then to become Taoiseach? Well, as I said to you earlier, um, when I first become, became leader, I didn't see this in prospect, if I'm honest. Um, and um, But things change and, and, and situations evolve, and it's a great honour and a privilege if, 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 if it does happen. Uh, but it's more than that. I think it's all about ultimately trying to improve the quality of life, and it goes back to the programme for government. It, I would like to see us deal effectively with the housing issue. I'd like to see us get the waiting list down in hospitals, get people access to treatments much earlier. I would love to see one of my big priorities would be special needs children. I was going to ask you about that, particularly with regards, like St. Gabriel's comes in for criticism all of the time, the state of it, considering that you opened it. Um, Have you seen the photographs of St. Gabriel's recently? I've been out there and um, I've been in touch with the school and what I did do um, was I worked, and I, I think I'm at liberty to say this, but last year in a bit I've been working with Enable Ireland, who have a site in Corrigheen, and very generously they engage with the Brothers of Charity, um, and they were willing to um, facilitate um, a site there for a new school for St. Gabriel's. Now, there are still some issues around um, uh, uh, maybe a second school going there, which the Department of Education is interested in pursuing, um, but uh, th- that would be a top priority of mine. It's to uh, get a proper and, specially built school yeah, for the special yeah, needs school, and, because uh, somebody and, says here that they have been emailing you constantly. I've personally emailed Micheál Martin to receive no response. It seems as if he just doesn't care. All well, he's interested in is leadership and photo shoots. These are texts here. I need to check that now because I've been in touch with parents um, well, who came to me originally on this. I'm a doctor to principal. Uh, everyone knows I've been of my behind-the-scenes involvement in trying to work with um, Enable Ireland to facilitate um, St. Gabriel's going out there. Um, I would have founded a school very quickly when I was Minister of Education, got it built at the, or got it facilitated at the time because there was an urgent need to get children placed. And I just, with the department, we overnight almost <clears throat> established that school as well as the School for the Divine Child uh, in, in um, uh So, so uh, I would want to, I mean, that would be a priority of mine, um, clearly, but also special needs more generally. And I've been working with the National uh, Special Education Council on this because I do um, get very annoyed when, um, you know, parents are very pressurized in getting placements for their children in schools, either special schools, and there's a shortage of places in Cork at the moment, um, and there's too much pressure on families of children with special needs. And if I was to do anything, as, uh, if I was to be, uh, become a teacher, was to put particular focus on that, and also that children with special needs would, would have better access in schools to occupational therapists, physiotherapists, and speak, speech and because language Because that's a human rights issue, really, isn't it? It's, it is a fundamental human rights issue. Nothing angers me more than this. Uh, and I, I've been involved in a lot of individual okay. cases, and the individual cases tell you the, the broader story. Um, and I think, you know, it, 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 it's a measure of our society and the, the, the decency in our society uh, if we can do this. And, and the fact that we're not doing it to the degree that I would like to see it done, I think, is not good. Okay, just talking um, about human rights issues, uh, you're also abolishing the direct provision system, isn't that right? That's right, yeah. So you're closing down all of the centres? 
No, they're not closing down immediately, obviously, but there's Catherine Day has, for the outgoing government commission to report, um, which, which is dealing with accommodation person, you know, pe- people seeking protection and so on. Um, and so effectively, um, there's there's a commitment there to end direct provision system over the lifetime of the government uh, and to, to change it with a new international protection accommodation policy centred on a not-for-profit approach, but also immediately... That means that no private enterprise will run the centres going forward if they exist? Into the future, yes. And an alternative accommodation has to be developed, but also giving better freedoms to the individual's concerns, such as basic things like applying for driving licences, the right to work, which the courts gave but hasn't been fully implemented, the right to have bank accounts, uh, and above all, to try and reduce the length of time it's taking to process decisions. And would they, would people who come in from overseas have all of those things while they're still awaiting um, their case? Yeah, yeah. because they see that the, the, the cases are taking too long. That's the fundamental problem. They're just simply taking too long, um, and um, uh, and then people can be years in, in an accommodation centre, which was never the intention. But if somebody has all of those rights to work and a driving license and all of these things, and then they're found that they can't stay, that's a terrible thing to do to them, to take all that away and throw them out, isn't it? Well, the, the point is, the balance is to try and create a reasonable quality of life for people who are claiming asylum in the country. Uh, and I think we have to get that balance right. Um, and um, uh, and I think that's people are not happy, rightly so, with the fact that people can spend years in a direct provision centre without having their cases uh, finalised or adjudicated on uh, and in conditions which are, are not satisfactory. Okay. Um, okay. okay. And I think that's, that it's a challenging issue and, I, and let's be under no illusions glo- globally with all the conflict and starvation in the world, migration will be with us for a long time to come. And of course uh, we have Black Lives Matter as well, as well. And, and, and a lot of racial tension around the world. That's that perhaps another day. But ju- just, yeah. um, just with regards to Cork again and then I'll let you go, will the convention centre now go ahead considering there's such a pinch on the purse? Um, well, I, it, it's committed to. Uh, I think the bigger question there is the the wider situation concerning you know concerts and. Um, so the issue is more for BAM and Live Nation as opposed to you. Well, the government is committed to it, yeah, um, and the outgoing government had committed funding to it, uh, so I presume it's proceeding. Um, and um, obviously, look, I think the, the one would hope that by the time it would be complete, uh, that a vaccine will have been found for this virus. And that so you're not going to pull the plug. So it's not planned to pull the plug on it by on your side, anyway, at least. Not at all. No. Okay. Okay. And and pers- and on a personal note, then, um, how does it feel like to follow in the footsteps of of say Jack Lynch when you? do. Uh, were you an admirer of his? Yes. Um, my, my late father would have been um, a personal friend of Jack Lynch and uh, played football with him at St. Nick's. Um, in fact, I think he lost, my father lost four county finals. Um, his <laughs> grandson had a better record. <laughs> but um, I remember being brought to um, a rally in 1977 at 17 years of age to Patrick Street. It was last of the big rallies where leaders would tour the country and do big street rallies um, and uh, my granduncle was with me and my father um, and um, Jack Lynch gave a speech and big chairs and all of us and then he sang the banks of my own lovely Lee so that probably was a, a catalyst for me becoming more interested in politics I'm wondering why I was the only one of the family down there the other four weren't there um, but um, yeah, the father was a great admirer of Jack Lynch and we used to be put in front of the front room in the sitting room sort of watching television um, when when the Ardesh was on and we'd have to sit down and watch Jack Lynch and that time they'd speak for an hour um, on television so um, 
yeah, we were we were strong admirers of him. And w- um, will you be will you be singing the Banks and Nemo anytime soon in celebration? I wonder. You see, my, my singing ability isn't as good, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> can't sing, can't dance, but might go a long way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and just again personally, uh, how's Mary taking the news and the potential of being the wife of the Taoiseach? Well, they're very. She she is said to be she is said to be the power behind the crown after all. Well, she's been a tremendous friend and uh, resource to me for many, many years. But I, Mary's taking nothing for granted at all. And neither am I, by the way. I, I find this talk a bit difficult because I'm very, very conscious of the enormous challenge ahead in terms of the voting that has to go on in, in the three parties and how all that works out. Um, but, yeah, look, the, the, the Mary and the kids are just watching events and anxious and just observing and so on. But Mary always does pick up the phone and say, you should do this and you should do that. Maybe ring that person and yeah. and all of that. So we're, 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 we've been a team from the very beginning. Will you stay in, will you stay in Bananoc? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You Absolutely. haven't been home in a number of weeks, I'm told, is that right? That's true, yeah, yeah. And um, so, uh, yeah, and, uh, but I will, of course, yeah, that, that's home for us. And when were you last home? Oh, a good, good number of weeks ago now, about... Um, Seven, say, eight? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I don't have the exact date now at this stage. What do you uh, do for shirts and suits and shoes and stuff? I get them, I, I had them. <laughs> Packed everything and took it with you? Yeah, well, you know, as you know, I used to stay in Dublin uh, anyway, you know, so um, so I have, you know, I get them cleaned and all the rest of it, like everybody else. So you're looking forward to getting home soon? I am, I am indeed, yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, getting into the market. Um, getting into Court Mac? Get, no, getting into, the sing- getting into the market. Yeah, and what about down to Court Mac? May get down there. Um, it, look, it's all going to be very hectic, Neil. You right. know, and okay. uh, the, the next two weeks is going to be trying to focus on the vote within the party um, and um, encouraging the members to vote. So, like, uh, it, it'll be full on now for, for, for the next couple of months. Good uh, to catch up. Appreciate you taking the call. I know it's a very busy time for you. As always, thanks so much, Michal. Good luck with everything that's going forward. All the best for now. Take care. Take care. Bye. Taoiseach and waiting, uh, we think. Uh, Michal Martin on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I dipped in and out. I hope you noticed. I dipped in and out to some of your questions by text. There was a vast majority of them. A lot of people were asking the same ones, so I did the best I could with your questions as well. Anyway, text 0868 That's where we're at. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. Okay. 104 to 106 Red FM. Season text there from people wondering why I'm not more positive about Michal Martin being Taoiseach of the country. Why am I so negative? I can't win. You know, you can't have a love-in on the air with a politician, you know. Don't get me wrong now. It's just mutual respect on both sides. But you have to ask the questions. Like, I'm not here just to... I don't know. I'll give him a back massage, as I said before. Why haven't you called out any of the positive texts? Why are you so negative about Mihal becoming Taoiseach? He's done a lot for the young and the old in Cork. I'm not either way. I'm just here to try and do my job. I mean, no matter what, if I was uh, if I was overly flahulik with the guy, I get grief over that as well. So I have learned over the years that you can't win no matter what you do. But uh, that's the way it goes. I didn't ask the question, lads, about because uh, I can answer some of the questions myself. But somebody was asking me about the rollout of one or two different things including the um, the M20 Cork to Limerick motorway, that is still going to go ahead. The convention centre is okay, and the M20 Cork to Limerick motorway is still okay. Now, that's part of the transport plan. They're not axing that, so we will have to see. People wondering about, um, is there any talk about the return of the Cork to Yall rail line? No. 
nothing, not in any plan whatsoever. Others wondering about what about a trackless tram system for Cork? No, nothing about anything like that. The work will be to do to our bus network, our road surfaces, um, the M20, things like that, um, and issues involving um, cycle lanes. Yeah, so that's where you're at with that regard. Um, anyway, if there are positive texts, I'll, I'll certainly read them out. And, and I think I'm, I'm excited about it. I think regardless of what a, a, a Taoiseach will say, the Gangamon say, oh, I'm, I'm going to be all about Cork. Cork's going to really win more so than anywhere else. He would be lambasted if you were to say that in the other, uh, you know, 25 counties in Ireland. Do you know what I mean? In the Republic, I mean by that. But I think that below the line, right, by, like bit like a swan, I think that he will be lifting phones. I mean, he'd be insane if he wasn't lifting phones, um, you know, on the QT, doing things for Cork City and for Cork County. Um, anyway, Mial Martin's tenure as Taoiseach, if it happens, will be tainted forever and will never be valid. This is because in order to get there, he shut out one quarter of the electorate entirely for the process. And that will be his legacy, says Ray. But that always happens with people who don't vote for the party that gets elected. They're always the ones that are shut out. I mean, you could talk about the Ipsos MRBI poll this morning that shows if there were an election in the morning, Fianna Fáil would get nowhere near government. In fact, probably in Norwich and Fein, the way things are going, Fianna Gael would have been re-elected if there was an election in the morning. If he has all the ideas now to sort the problems, uh, what has he been doing for his time in politics? It's just more of the same. Um, where are the positive texts here? Is there going to be a reduction in the number of civil and public servants to in, to ease the pressure on the tax take? There's way too many of them in the first place. Are we going to just borrow up to our necks against this pat? Well, you heard in the interview, they will be borrowing. It is permissible for them to borrow internationally and kind of say, we'll worry about the repaying of it at another day, for another generation even. Best of luck, Hall, a man of integrity. Neil, ask Hall, will he not be taking his ministerial pensions until 67? Well... Pension stays the same for now. Um, and there's a lot of other questions on the pensions, which I won't do because I address that. Can you ask him about schools, maybe? For instance, Carrick Tool School. The bill there has been held up for eight years. And in September, the kids have nowhere to go. What will Fianna Fáil and Micheál Martin do about that? You're wasting your breath. He won't answer one question. Uh, and he did say he would never go into government with Fianna Gael. Let us never forget it. And that's just a selection of your texts to 0868104106. I'd love to pick up on calls with you guys on this, particularly um, in the morning when we're back on air at 9 o'clock. So think about that. Think about coming on air. Think about being uh, in a situation where we're looking at having a cork Taoiseach. And will it make any difference? Your thoughts on that. Text 0868104106. Even better if you come on the air. Now, um, and the positive ones are as good as the negative ones. Let me say that. I, I do want to accentuate the positive, if at all possible, because I think, in spite of the political breakdown, when you look at the different parties and their shares of the vote, and I understand the frustrations you Sinn Féin, I get all of that. I think a Cork Taoiseach can only be a positive thing. Positive for us. I know it's a Taoiseach for all of the country, but now at least at the top table, will we, have, we will have three different senior politicians with him, with uh, Simon Coveney and indeed with Michael McGrath. So your thoughts on that? Lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone and give us a bell. Like Derek. Derek. Good morning. Can you just turn that radio down in the background if you don't mind, Derek? And I'll come back to you in a couple of seconds. Oh, also, can I just say I need to do a double lot of shout outs this morning because I didn't get to them yesterday. My apologies for that, Derek. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just wondering why Michal Martin came to my door and told me he, under no circumstances would he go into government with Fine Gael. And look, three and a half months later, he's jumping into the same bed as him. 
three or four different times I made that point to him. He said, the political makeup of today is where we're at. To a large extent, there was no other option. Uh, there was. He just had, it was, it was well planned beforehand, before any election, that he was going to prop up Fine Gael and Fine Gael prop up him because he would have been known as the first Fianna of all leader, not to be pre- uh, Taoiseach, only for so. But then, then really, there's no one to blame in this. You can't blame him if Sinn Féin didn't run enough seats and Sinn Féin didn't run enough seats because they didn't know how popular they were. I understand that 100%. But why you go around and tell lies to everybody at the door? He cannot answer that straight. But so did Leo Varadkar. Leo Varadkar made the analogy to putting John Delaney back in charge of the FAI. So, Of course he did. Of course he did. Can we can we look beyond that and look to Cork, though? Do you not see that this is a positive thing for the I county of Michal Cork? Ma- I think Michal Mar- Martin is negative towards Cork, severely. That's a very, very broad statement to make. How do you back it up? Well, what, what has he done? He was propping up um, the Fine Gael government for the last three and a half years or so, and he wouldn't do anything about the, the event centre, for example. Uh, well, the event centre actually could be criticised, the amount of money they're actually giving from the public purse. I think it's up around 50 million now of the public money. Yeah. Like, you couldn't call that not doing enough. They're given a huge chunk of dosh for no skin in the game. Back in 2013, when the sod was torn, it was costing 20 million. Now it's not going to be built at all. I can't see it, can you? Yeah, I can see it, to be quite honest. I think the only thing that will stop it is if Live Nation pull out, and there's a chance that they will because of the issues now with regards to concerts. Oh, that's a, a, a very big fact. They will pull out. I definitely think so. Okay, well, let us see. Okay, all right. Appreciate that. Right. Thank you. one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text 0868104106. I think there's one or two other. Congratulations, Michal. Best of luck as Taoiseach. Do the county proud, as you've done for many years. One other point. You keep saying people voted for change as if a huge majority voted for change. 25% voted for Sinn Féin. There have been parties that have got higher percentages than that and never got into government. All right, so... um Congratulations, me all. Best of luck as T-shirt. Okay, we'll do lots more on this tomorrow. But Richie, Richie, how's it going? Good, good. Go ahead. No, I just just on that point. I suppose I was just thinking that it, it is to highlight that. Look, you know, a big number of people did vote for Sinn Féin. There's no question about that. But that they did at the end of the day only come out with twenty five percent of the the vote. And as I was trying to say, it was that. There's been many parties over the years, obviously Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil mostly, that have got even higher than that, I would say, and not been in government. That's the way what, it goes. What is the it? Moment, the government that... Yeah, the people that get the most yeah, votes don't always become the government because sometimes you have to cobble two or three different parties together, I know. Imagine how, imagine then how, say for instance, Donnick O'Leary or Mary Lou MacDonald must feel today. Uh, well, absolutely, but uh, I suppose the other thing as well is that, look... You, you you know you spoke Donnick O'Leary and I've I've met him. He's a, he's an absolutely fantastic politician. He, he really is. He's a, he's a good guy and cares about Cork. And he topped the poll in uh, South Central. But Mihal Martin has topped the poll for many years, and he wasn't far behind him. You know what I mean? He, he he did very well, and he's done it for thirty years. So he obviously has the support here. You know, I think there's there's not. I, I'd like to wish him well. Uh, to be honest about it, I'd like to wish him the best of luck. I hope this works out. I think we did need. Did you vote Fianna Fáil? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then I, I, I just want to wish him well. Yeah. And do you, you think know, that? Do you I think, think that I'm? I think there is support. I, I, do you? You say here, yeah, and it says here in your text, you seem to be quite negative towards me, Omar. And is the, are you referring to me? Well, some of the some of the points I just thought that before he came on, there was a lot of negative was coming through. But obviously, you've explained us possibly the text. There was a lot yeah, more negative. Yeah. Can I just can I just ask it. you about that? Why is people like this morning? Um, I would say maybe eighty, ninety percent of the texts and comments that I'm getting are a plague on all their houses, including Michal Martin, even as a Cork Taoiseach. Like, why aren't people celebrating the potential for Cork? I don't know. I suppose, there, you know, there, there is probably, I think the, it's a hard one to answer. I, I think you did say it there earlier, look, that Sinn Féin probably didn't run enough seats. And I think there's probably a, there's a strong disappointment there among their support. But I know that, but that, uh, maybe you know. they're the ones that are texting, but I'm seeing very little. No, Deli- I'm not saying that either. I don't want to say that. Look, we can't But why either, aren't but I getting you know, texts saying, delighted, congratulations, best of luck, you deserve it, great for Cork? Not seeing that. <sighs> It's a hard one. I suppose if you look at it, Neil, if you look at it over the years, if you look at it when, say, uh, Fianna Fáil were getting 80 seats, it was very, very clear that the people were happy that Bertie Ahern or whoever it was would be Tisha. Now you have a situation where you have Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Greens coming together as they are. It's a bit, it's a very different situation and there's probably not as much of a, a big base of support, but I still think there is support out there, you know? Um, you would think that maybe there would be cross-party or cross-public support for a Cork Taoiseach, though, wouldn't you? Well, you, you would hope so, yeah? You yeah, would hope well, so. Not seeing it. Maybe they're just... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not seeing it. All right, thanks for that, Richie. Going to leave it there, lads, and pick it up in the morning. That and lots more besides. But I want to do some shout-outs. Didn't get to do it yesterday. Let's correct that now. With Oak Fire Pizza vouchers to give away from their three different branches. Morning. I'd love if you could wish my daughter, Taylor Lane, a happy 21st birthday for Friday. She's supposed to fly to Dubai to celebrate but, celebrate, but over COVID that was cancelled. We have a family social distancing gathering to market her 21st birthday. So happy birthday from everybody including Rosie. Please, please, please I'd love a voucher for my wife Suzanne. She's not a frontline worker Suzanne but she's homeschooled her three kids since the start of lockdown. It hasn't been easy. Thanks so much to Shane and Glanmire. Uh, would you be so kind as to give my husband Kevin a voucher? He's been working very hard from home since lockdown with Father's Day coming up. Oh is it? When is that? It would be a lovely treat. Thanks so much to Carol. I'd like to nominate my son Jordan for one of your pizzas. He's 17, has been in his Leaving Cert class this year. Uh, he's had a rough few months with everything going on with the exams being off and then on and then off again. Uh, and then there's been the news about how they will be graded. He missed out on the last day of school feeling uh, where you know you've completed your six years and a sense of achievement. He never got to graduate and all sorts of stuff like that. He's turning 18 in July and was supposed to fly out on his Leaving Cert holiday with his friends to celebrate just after his birthday, but that's been cancelled as well. Valerie's a proud mum, Valerie O'Leary, on behalf of her son, Jordan. Love to win money of vouchers. My son Daniel is seven, and throughout lockdown, he has amazed me with how resilient he is. He's happy out, does his schoolwork, plays his PlayStation, watches his iPad, and has not complained once through the whole thing. Yesterday, he went back out in the road playing with his two friends that were playing hide and seek in a game of football. Oh, but they were so happy. He came in at half eight last night and he said, Ma'am, I had the best day ever. I'd really love to treat him to a pizza for being a great kid and to show him that we're really proud of him. He was starstruck by seeing you in Super Value a few weeks ago. 
but he wouldn't go over to say hello. That's a lovely text. Thanks, Helen. Pizza for your son. Um, but you put maybe two or three pizzas together for my daughter and her classmates next week. The North Pres Primary in George Griffin Street. They're doing a socially distancing graduation in the yard. It's only 12 in the class. Uh, it'd be a lovely thing, wouldn't it, if we could have pizza delivered? I'm going to wreck heads around here now, see if we can get that done. But thanks for getting in touch, Alan. Let's see what we can do. My husband, Ian, please, both working through lockdown like yourselves. He deserves a nice treat. Hardworking, never complains. It also would give me a break from cooking the dinner. Love the show, says Jewel. Hey, get him to cook the dinner. It shouldn't all be one-way traffic. Can I nominate my mom and dad for one of your vouchers? Mom's been working hard and super value since all this started. My dad's been cocooning. I'm living in Sweden where there's no lockdown. So I can only imagine what it's like with you guys. The post to us here was only opened yesterday. And the first thing they did was send me a langer load of Barry's tea, which I've had to do without for weeks. Love the show, says Dave in Gothenburg. And this one, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram page, you can also send me uh, uh, best wishes and shout outs. So for my Instagram page, love if you consider giving a voucher to my to our wife and mother, Evelyn Burke. She's been working nonstop through the pandemic in St. Vincent's Hostel on Anglesey Street. We would love if you sent her something as she needs a bit of spoiling and a bit of relaxation after all the hours she's been working. Thank you, says Colm, Kaylee, Cahill, Molly, Ronan, Lisa and Shane. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can leave me some messages, kind messages, please, on my own Instagram page, Neil Prend- at Neil Prendival. How am I doing? And just one fast one here, again from my own Instagram page. Please give a big shout out to my wife, Kate Cronin, a dental nurse in the front line in UCC Dental School and Hospital, Herself and her colleagues um, have worked so hard through the pandemic. I know they'd appreciate pizza. All the dental nurses in UCC Dental School love you and your show. Well, that kind of a text will get you pizza all day long. So keep them coming, lads. Text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. And as always, um, uh, get in touch on my Instagram page if you haven't done so already. Our lines are open at one 850 you can text 0868104106 back after these. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And uh, just before I go, my apologies. I had a lot to do on staycationing and prices and people who have been booking holidays uh, here and trying to get a holiday there. And, you know, the prices are just ridiculous. So we'll get to those in the morning. And also more on, uh, you know, me, me all Martin and stuff to do with lifting lockdown uh, too soon and moving through the various phases. But some great news to finish on this morning. And our uh, senior producer of this program, Emer, of course, uh, went on maternity leave only, uh, how long? I'm losing my mind, huh? A week ago? A week ago. Uh, and great news this morning. She texted my phone to tell me, and this is a quote, delighted to say our little doll, Amira, arrived safely yesterday. A baby girl, a daughter for Emer and Alberto, and a sister. For the two lads. Thanks to everyone for their support, she says. Well wishes and love uh, for the the, uh, last few weeks. She says that all of the staff and midwives here at the COMH are amazing, as always. They've been working incredibly hard to make sure all of the mommies, especially the first-timers, are being looked after here uh, during this lonely lockdown. Um, Wouldn't it be great, maybe, just to send a whole, uh, as we say, a langer load of pizza to the nurses at CUMH. Why not? I mean, these kind of things are possible. Anyway, it's lovely. Beautiful name, Amira. It means princess ruler. So she's got she's got a lot to live up to. Anyway, well done. I'm so delighted. Thanks for getting in touch, Emer. And uh, love and congratulations to yourself and Alberto and your ever-increasing family. Um, <laughs> three, three is plenty, isn't it? 
two boys are great, but I know that a girl is very special for her and she's delighted with that. And we're all so delighted with the news. So well done. Congratulations. And I'm sure everybody listening will be delighted with the news. That's it. Lines will stay open at one eight fifty one oh four one oh six. Text oh eight six eight one oh four one oh six. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.